Mary Maria Sprout! 15 seconds to curtains, you three! Oh. Oh. No one's here. Well, I guess I'll just be going then. Welcome to Muffet Fans Talking. I'm Maria. And I'm Sprout. Everybody, welcome. Hello. We have guests today. This is a very special episode. We we have guests. We have uh, JD and Becca. Hi, guys. Hello, hello. I'm confused. I'm sorry. Am I am I a guest on this? Because I'm pretty sure I'm a host of Muppet Fans Talking. <laughs> Recently retired. Yeah, yeah. Well, retired in like 2019. The name, honestly... <laughs> yeah. Yes, I used it for for those who don't know. I used to have a podcast with the same name that was part of a larger podcast with a different name, which I guess created confusion. Nevertheless, it's long retired, but I did get a little weirded out when one day I saw, oh, there's another podcast with I didn't even this know name. until like two episodes in. We were like, oh, there's another podcast. I didn't advertise it very well. I knew everyone else was already set on the name, and I was like, I can't just bring it up, like, you know, two episodes <laughs> in and be like, guys, we have to change the podcast. <laughs> I mean, you had to stick with the name. It's a great name. I think at one point I was talking to, uh, I'm already name dropping. That's not good. But at one point <laughs> I was talking to Joe Hennis after I found that this podcast existed. And he said, yeah, I think... We, every time we talked about starting a podcast, the name Muppet Fans Talking would come up and we'd go, oh, darn it, it's taken. So I think it is like a podcast name that needs to exist and needs to be continued in some form. Yeah. I, I like the form that it's in now. You guys have a good thing oh, going here. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. We, we've taken the torch and then when we die, we will give the torch to someone else and Muppet Fans Talking will continue to exist in the world. Good, good. I think that's uh, that's what Frank Oz intended when he made that documentary. Yes, for Muppet fans to die. <laughs> oh, I don't think I meant it that way, but yeah, <laughs> maybe that too. Becca, hi. Hi. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right, you know, thinking about the Muppets 2011. I'm sorry. We're sorry, and this is what the episode is about today is it is the 10th anniversary coming up of the Muppets 2011 movie titled The Muppets. Horrible title name convention that's starting here and it continues. <laughs> oh, really? Are there are there productions that are called The Muppets, which is also the name of the franchise? They do that? And the characters in the franchise. And the characters? Know. Really? That, so you know, much. I'd never put all that together. Never made the connection. Everyone should know who JD and Becca are by now, but if they don't, what do you do in the Muppet universe that people should know about? What do I do now? I, I keep changing what it is that I do in Muppet fandom as I uh, get bored with things and move on. So I used to do podcasts, uh, but don't listen to those. Now, well, okay. So more recently, a few months ago, I started a Bad Jim Henson biopic on Twitter, at Bad Henson Bio. And it's one of the weirdest things I ever have done. I've enjoyed it immensely, but eventually, for various reasons, for so many different reasons, I had to stop the biopic Twitter account. But then I had this weird idea that was sort of based on something I started with the, with, with the biopic account, where at one point, 
I was coming up with what a tie-in with Dunkin' Donuts as a promotional tie-in for the film would be, and it got me thinking about uh, uh, stupid connections I could make between themed restaurant items and Jim Henson and the Muppets. And so eventually I just made an account for that. It's called at Bad Henson Bistro. And that's what you can find me doing now. It is just tweets that are different menu items that would be on just the weirdest possible Jim Henson themed restaurant. It's funny because the second you dropped it, the very first thing I thought was, I can't wait for the grouch salad. Oh, really? Interesting. I was so excited when it came on. I was like, yeah. See, I, I can never figure out what balance I want to have between stuff that actually exists in these movies and TV shows and things. Because like, I want to have some of the stuff from the thing you know that's part of the fun, I guess, of themed restaurants. Like, I, I'm kind of a theme park fan, and I enjoy weird themed, weird theming. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that when you eat in a place that's themed to a set of characters or a franchise, you you kind of expect that, like, maybe something from a movie or TV show that you're used to will actually be something you can try, like the gray stuff at Be Our Guest. Yeah. And so it's like, what's the stupidest possible version of the gray stuff, but for Muppets? <laughs> and that became a whole account where, like, I have... Dozens more things already scheduled. Are you going to offer Fozzie's guacamole subway sandwich from Muppets Most Wanted? <laughs> just, the, just that one, not any other subway sandwich. Just that specific subway branded sandwich from the Muppets Most Wanted. The worst um, product placement in a Muppet movie I've ever seen. Mm, I think there's one that's worse. Uh, and it's the, the, the Cars 2 billboard in uh, Muppets 2011. <laughs> yes! Yes, thank you. We're yes. going to get into that in this episode. <laughs> How many times is the Cars 2 billboard in this movie? Like five? Three. Three. I've counted it. It's three, and the Cars franchise haunts me and Sprout forever, and it's going to haunt us forever. <laughs> I've, I've made my introduction too long. Yes, at some point I'll try to put that sandwich in there. I had not thought of it. I thought you might mention, like, uh, there, there's a line in The Great Muppet Caper when Fozzie is eating at the, what's it called, the Dubonnet Club, and he says, if you put enough sugar in this stuff, it tastes just like ginger ale. And I'd like one menu item to be champagne with enough sugar in it that it tastes just like gin- ginger ale. That's all everyone needs to know about my sense of humor. That's, that's <laughs> all you need to know about me. I've, I've overstayed my introduction, and I would like to hear from Becca. Yeah, so, so I'm Becca. Um, I previously... Slash currently, it's kind of confusing, uh, went as uh, Evan G on a lot of places. Uh, but I'm kind of in the middle of some, you know, life changes. Um, but um, I am a writer and artist with Tough Pigs. I've been working with Tough Pigs for like six or seven years now. Um, and uh, doing a lot of stuff, stuff there, writing way too long articles about things like the Zodiac and Joe the Legal Weasel. And um, I also recently started hosting a podcast for Tough Pigs uh, called Hubba Wah. It's a a Muppet quiz show. And uh, it's, I think it's okay. Uh, And yeah, that's, that's really all there is to say, I guess. I think it's a wonderful podcast. Well, thank you. 
I'm not biased. <laughs> yes, uh, Maria will be on uh, in the future, and hopefully I can get everybody else on as well, but I only have recorded so much yet. You can't go wrong with a quiz show, honestly. There's so much fun. I'm I'm glad, you know, you've been enjoying it, even if you are biased. <laughs> no, we have just like three pieces of, of news um our first one off the top of my head is they're doing a reprint of the vinyls for uh, muppet christmas carol you know it's actually not to correct you it's it's a first time printing for the the muppet christmas carol on vinyl is it? i don't believe it was released on vinyl previously i thought because um our friend our friend b has one are we hold on maybe i'm wrong <laughs> i don't know Unless I'm thinking of a different movie. <laughs> what if only B has one? Oh. Maybe this is still the first one. I wouldn't be surprised with her collection. Oh, wait. Wait, it was. It was released as a promotional LP in 2018. I think it may have been a more uh. limited run. Oh. Uh. B is just very lucky. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm seeing very little about it on Muppet. Anyway. Uh, you can you can cut all that. Uh, it's I have seen the the art of this. I have seen the art of this release though. It's it's gorgeous. You know, I it was is. saying, I feel like so often these days when they release a Muppet thing, it like has the same four photos of mm-hmm. Kermit, Piggy, Gonzo, and Animal, and like it was so nice to see. Oh, it's actually art on this. What's interesting about it is that it it, it is good looking art and it kind of looks painted but it also looks like it is images of the characters i've seen before like i was struck by how it's all like it all looks like screen grabs from the movie or stuff from different promotional images like i've seen that exact photo of bean bunny i've seen all the images it seems like they were all just carefully grabbed and like painted over and put together in a way that makes it look very artful so it's still the old Muppet trick of we'll use all the photos that we already have, but they've all been reworked very artfully in a way that just looks really, really good. And it does mean if they can do that for this, then I'm going to want them to do it for everything else. And I'm going to be really, really mad now the next time I see <laughs> another boring Photoshop together of image of photographs that do not belong together this movie is where we got all of the uh still images that they've been using constantly for a decade now yeah on come on muppets it's been a full decade get some new material you updated the logo come on you know it's a nice logo i could go on for a while just about the nice new logo i love the new logo so much it's so good i know it feels like such a minor thing to talk about but Compared to the logo that was introduced with this movie, The Muppets 2011, that's just kind of generic block letters, except one of them has Kermit's body on it, but the others don't. It, this new one is so much better. It, it's so reminiscent of The Muppet Show logo in a really good way. Um, I, I really like it. I think it suggests sort of a change in direction for how they're thinking about The Muppets. Because it seems like if you're just studying the... Lo- I know this is not supposed to be the topic of this episode, but here I go. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If you're just looking at the logos over the past 10 years, you can see for 2011, they think nobody knows who these characters are except for Kermit. So we're going to just focus on Kermit for our logo. 
And then years later, with the 2015 series, you get that Muppet Studio logo that's all like, hey, we're wacky. And it's not too specific to any character, but it is sort of trying to maybe reference the older Jim Henson style of art that I like when Jim Henson did it, but that new logo for the studio didn't really do it very well. And then now we see a logo coming at a time when The Muppet Show has been put on Disney+. Plus. I don't think Disney fully appreciated just how much people were going to flock to Disney Plus specifically for The Muppet Show. And with the, I think with all the fans really showing that that is what they like from The Muppets, and with that, since that should have been the takeaway from the 2011 film that everyone just wants them to focus on The Muppet Show as the core part of The Muppet brand somehow, like, I, I think we're seeing Disney finally going, okay, so the key to The Muppet brand is The Muppet Show. That's what people expect from the Muppets. Oh, okay. Wow. The key to the Muppets is the Muppets. Who the fuck? Well, uh, Disney was thinking it was it was the 2015 show. That's what they that's what they thought. Or the or or any of the other things called the Muppets. Everyone wanted Jason Segel and uh, Topher. That's all they wanted. They didn't want the Muppets. They they just wanted to see Topher make out with this pig puppet. That's what the fans want. It was a weird time to be writing for Tough Pigs um, in 2015. Oh, Let me tell you. Oh, no. When isn't a weird time? I was just about to say, I was yeah. literally just about to say, but let's be real. Now I'm writing about, you know, Ted Cruz trying to oh. kill Big Bird or whatever. So, you know, what? what isn't weird? I've had to scrap two articles already that i had written but i was like oh nah never mind so i'm working on the third one just being like please something don't happen please just news stop how about the news just stops for a bit so i could get an article out damn it speaking of news what were your other news updates we have the muppets at disneyland for christmas we, we are they the same the, the same puppets they used when they had that parade i don't know when there was a parade back in like early 2000s that had Kermit and Piggy. It looks like the great moments in history size puppets. They look mm. smaller. So when did they stop doing great moments? Because it seems like they, they said they were stopping it and they pulled it for a while and then they brought it back for a while. Yeah, they have it. They had it at least during this past summer. I don't know if it's still there. I mean, everything's obviously like last year was a little weird. I, I was. Yeah. I was at Disney World in 2019. Where? And Where? Oh, wait, you just went to visit? Oh, yeah, no, I... I... <laughs> Sorry. I was working there in 2019. Oh, no, 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 I was, I was just a guest. Um, okay. But the Muppet, the, that, that, the Muppet moments in history was still there at the time. Mm -hmm. But then things just got weird because of, you know, COVID and all that. So I yeah. don't. So it's just it's the Muppets. They're on a big parade float and they're singing Christmas songs, and they're, I don't know how many. I I think it's pretty cool, actually, because I I've sort of been waiting for a while for them to uh, figure out how they can use the puppets since they have built puppets designed for easy visibility in theme parks. These sort of slightly larger versions of them with really distinct features that you can see from quite a ways away and i've been hoping they would put them in a parade because they're like performers 
it kind of makes sense for the Muppets to be doing musical performances in a theme park. And it seems like when people see Muppet puppets in a theme park, they get really excited about it. People like mm-hmm. it because it is a little bit more like seeing the real thing mm-hmm. than it is with seeing like a, a walk around version of a cartoon or, or something like that, if that makes sense. You know what I miss that's related to this? And again, we're getting, you know, off topic, but it's important. Um, is the Muppet Mobile Labs that they yes. had at, yes. uh, at the parks for a while? I I have no idea why that kind of went away, and I definitely think that that would have been a, a a cool thing to keep around and maybe do like a second one with like the Swedish Chef or something. Mm-hmm. You know that he could throw food at you or something. I, I don't know. I know I know why it went away. Oh, Bob Iger hates the puppets. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> well, that means now they could come back. Well, they have been slowly. I've noticed more, like I've seen more merch in the parks online. Um, the the Christmas thing alone is insane to me. Like they're doing something with the puppets in the parks. Right. Hello. Um, I don't remember what year it was because my brain is so muddled when it comes to my personal life. Like. I can tell you everything about Muppet stuff, but me? No. Um, One vacation that we went to, there's the Muppet Mobile Labs, and the the guy that was performing Bunsen just sounded exactly like Dave Goals. It was insane. I was like, wow, you're you're perfect. (laughs) Who are you? This is one of those few areas where, weirdly, all of us Muppet nerds who are normally like, there can only be one performer for each of these characters, we can't have anyone else doing it, and then they have just a guy doing Bunsen and Beaker, and we're like, yes, more of a guy doing Bunsen and Beaker (laughs) in front of everyone, please. This guy who is dressed as a civilian way back in the back with a tiny little microphone. (laughs) That's what Jim Henson wanted. (laughs) This whole time, when Frank Oz has been talking about character purity, the interviews just cut out the part where he's very clear about just some person standing in the back of a crowd with a little remote. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Weirdly, I, weirdly, I agree with all of this. I, like, I agree that it needs to be, you know, the, the one Muppet, one voice thing, and I also agree that you need to have other people bringing experiences like that to the parks and i don't know how to make my contradictory beliefs you know i don't know how to reckon those i don't know how to reconcile those uh but maybe that's what fandom is holding on to a bunch of different contradictory beliefs at once when it comes to the theme parks in my head it's different from like official movies because it's just a theme park you're gonna go for one day and oh it's so cool to see them in person it doesn't matter who's play performing yeah. the puppet it's kind of like you know whenever you go see the disney princesses it's like i know that's not cinderella i know that's not the original voice actress for cinderella also being her that's just an actress in a disney college program like you've ruined it for me You've just ruined the magic for me. It would be very tough to get the original voice actress for Cinderella. It would be, I think. Disney has billions of dollars. (laughs) They can clone Jim Henson to play Sweetums. We can get the original princesses. Bring up the obscure running gags. That's what we want. Yeah. Uh, No one's confused right now. Jacob Jacobson and clone Jim Henson. My favorite Muppet fans talking running gags. They're fun gags. They're fun gags. What were we talking about? 
Oh, we were going through the the Muppets in the Park. Yeah. And then you had one more news item after that one. We got an official date for Fraggle Rock. And a trailer. My brain exploded and it still hasn't recovered. I did start to tear up. I'm I'm so excited about this and I, I I've I've already like as soon as the trailer dropped, I was like again, I'm gonna name drop, but I was I was talking to Johannes and I was we're all just name dropping Johannes and I was like, we need to we need to plan like exactly what we're doing, you know, on the on the site to celebrate this. So cool stuff should be coming. Um, I can't spoil it. It's not my job to from the tough pig side and cool stuff should be coming from that show because it looks great. I, I'm so excited. Um, physical sets. Uh, it has been confirmed that those are physical sets. Obviously there's some camera trickery, superimposing to, you know, do some of the tricks, but it's physical sets. It's, it's physical puppetry tricks. Uh, you know, that we're seeing with uh, Wembley and Moki's eyes. We have confirmation yeah. that those are uh, those are physical as well. It's 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 good stuff. Speaking of Moki, mm-hmm. thoughts on her redesign? You know, leave all of that awkward silence in. <laughs> <laughs> those are our thoughts. I think it's important just because truly it's, it's remarkable. I don't know that I've ever seen a redesign that was this. Mm, I can't say that. Like, like, there are always controversial redesigns. But this is one of the weird areas where, like, I, I, I've i seen some of the Fraggle puppets in person. I don't know that I've seen the ones for this show. But for the most part, they've stayed the same over time, Where while everything else has changed. Like, you watch Sesame Street, total redesigns of all the characters oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've gotten the weird, fluffy Elmo... Just which I guess they wanted, they did away with for a while, but I just think of all these different phases in Muppet redesigns at Disney. I mean, the, the 2011 film that we're going to talk about today introduced the strange, fluffy teddy bear Fozzie. Yep. So many redesigns that are just really, really different that they don't want you to notice are that different, but of course we nerds do. And then the Fraggles have stayed exactly the same. Well, to be fair, the Fraggles haven't really done too much you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's 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 weird to think that fraggle rock is really like this this self-contained thing i mean like i don't i'm not really counting like a ben folds five music video as being the same as like the muppets (laughs) 2011 that music video was delightful it was so good yeah it's weird because it's kind of like it's kind of like you look at like, oh, how has Kermit changed over the years? Or how has, you know, Scooter changed over the years or any of these? And it's like, it all happened at once to Moki. It's like Moki went from A to Z rather than A to B to C to to D. (laughs) Hmm. What I am going to say is I suspect it has something to do with the fact that Moki always kind of looked like a grandma because she did. Um, I think there's a reason why Moki never really appeared on any of the merchandise because that was always a running gag we used to have on Tough Pigs. You know, yeah. you, you look at a lot of the Fraggle merchandise and it never included her. And for whatever reason, I guess the company thought that she never appealed to kids. And she appealed to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I liked her too, but that's that's my assumption is it's designed to sort of make her like a little younger looking 
I still feel like she looks older than everybody else, though. To me in the show, she always looked like, like everyone else looked younger, but to me, she was like teenage hippie type. And now with the redesign, it, she still looks teenage, but like younger teenage, like art lesbian, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird A to Z thing, you know? I, when I look at her, the very first thing I think is, wow, she is so vibrant. Yeah. They really boosted the colors on her, on the feathers and the fleece. That is the big change, and it sort of matches a change in just the look of the whole show. Mm -hmm. Because at first I couldn't even tell that there were practical sets there, because it still all looks so much more colorful than the original series did, even though the original series was, in many respects, pretty colorful. So it's... I see a very big tonal and aesthetic shift for the entire series overall that definitely feels like it's it's the thinking is these days all children's shows are very very vibrant so now anything about Fraggle Rock that isn't we got to figure out how to turn up that dial and make this really pop make everything uh, candy colored so that it can just function as a show for kids in that market in the modern media landscape I don't know. That's that's how I think about it. I, I very much get the sense just from the tone and aesthetics I see with this trailer that this whole thing wasn't pitched at me, which obviously not. Of course, Fraggle Rock has always been decidedly pitched at children, and I am an adult man. So I understand <laughs> this. I, 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 I knew what was coming. But nevertheless, I do actually find myself wondering... Am I going to get anything out of this? Do I need this? Is this for me? But it looks like for most other Fraggle Rock fans, it's fun. Like, everyone else is excited, so I'm glad that everyone else is excited. It's it's funny you're saying that, because I think, like I was saying again about, like, this, multi, this multi-step process, like, that gets us here, but, like, it kind of is almost like comparing the way that Sesame Street, the street itself, looks on the HBO Sesame Street, mm-hmm. as opposed to how it looked, like obviously in you know the 70s but also like how it looked even you know when we were when we were children it's become very very colorful and Mm -hmm. and you know a lot more more like that again it's just with fraggle rock there's like no midsection it's just we're going like i said from point a to point z um and and that makes it even more Mm -hmm. jarring than than like when sesame did it i will say I'm going to greatly miss the really terrible green screen from the original because it had so much charm. It's true. Well, you know, and I, I, I know I was saying this a little on, on, on Twitter, but Fraggle Rock was always where they would experiment with stuff like mm-hmm. that, with stuff like green screen and also with weird new new puppetry tricks as well. You know, like the the Gorg vision and uh, the Waldo driven uh, puppets and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested to see because it it feels like uh, a lot of that spirit I'm hoping is still going to be there and I'm hoping that for for older folks like us we can still appreciate you know some of that because again we're we're we are seeing some of that you know Wembley's eyes do the Wembley eye swivel in this and mm-hmm. that's a cool puppetry trick that they're not really doing with uh, with any of the other stuff right now I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm a little more hopeful than JD maybe but um 
We'll see. I was just going to say we have a full spectrum of, of fan emotion here from, from Sprout to JD. And, and Becca and I are in the middle. I am the fraggle of the art. <laughs> My usual reaction to things is kind of just the most, uh, not, not the most negative possible, but generally speaking, I think I, I respond to, oh, I wish, I wish you listeners at home could see the, the big laughter reaction that just got. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm usually the one who's, who approaches new Muppet things from the perspective of someone who's not totally negative or cynical, but just a little bit dead inside. That's that, so all emotions are a little bit muted for me in response to these sorts of things. So take my perspective with many grains of salt, uh, as I think it's probably an unusual one. That's how I am with the Muppets, because as much as I love Disney, I hate them. I am very unsure about everything related to the Muppets. When you say the Muppets, do you mean the film, the TV show, the franchise, <laughs> the characters? Yes. Yes. All of them. Yes okay. to all. Uh -huh. Because I've seen what Disney has done to some properties, and I just get scared. That uh, that feels like a good segue into talking about one of those four, the Muppets. Thank you so much. I'm drowning. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 the teacher in me. <laughs> uh, as I said before, it's the tenth anniversary of the 2011 The Muppets movie. Horrible, horrible naming, and mm -hmm. I, I just to ask and i'll ask jd and then ask becca what were your thoughts originally when this came out like when whenever you first saw it were you excited i think that at the time when so when the news was coming out i i all i can think about is just how much i want to go on for a while about what it was like at that time when it felt like there was very little muppet content and then suddenly the news articles start showing up on Tough Pigs that this thing is actually happening. Not just rumors, it's really, really happening. And then they do this incredible... Uh, on, on Tough Pigs, there's an amazing article that's an interview with Jason Siegel that is not an interview with Jason Siegel. They're lying. It's, it's like a frequently asked questions article about the upcoming Muppet movie, but there was so little knowledge initially that they just decided to make stuff up. And it's truly one of the best articles on that website at one point the interviewer who i think is ryan asks uh, about uh, a, a script called muppets underwater which again not a thing that's ever been in development and then the article goes on a tangent explaining in detail everything that happens in muppets underwater and i think when i first read it i couldn't tell whether or not it was a real interview i couldn't figure it out but all that we knew is that Jason Siegel, some guy who is not a Muppet performer, not a Muppet writer, not involved in this, was making a Muppet movie. And the more plot details we got, the more we saw that it was very similar to the things we had seen before. Very similar to one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, The Country Bears. Thank you. I literally, I literally have a question. I have a question here. Plot similar to two specific movies. It is beat for beat the Country Bears. Like I actually get a little bit upset every time my mother tells me that she's watching the 2011 Muppet movie for whatever reason because I know she will say, "I've seen this. This is the Country Bears," and I'm like, "I know, I know, Mom. I know." To be fair, in in Disney's defense, not that many people saw the Country Bears. It 
my mom loves the country bears so i that movie was on repeat at my house same i can talk for hours about the country bears it's a it's a family tradition that i have been slowly trying to force everyone around me into um so yeah hey glad i'm glad we all have deep thoughts about the country bears but uh it is the same plot as this one jason siegel did indeed kick it into gear when he Mm. took a franchise that was in some respects not dormant they were doing things but it was not central to the culture it was not a big thing that anybody was anyone except us nerds was paying too much attention to i don't think and then the trailer for the muppets says at the end get ready for muppet domination it's I, like i forgot until i rewatched the trailer today that that was there but the promise of this new muppet film was muppets are going to be really relevant again everywhere in your face on billboards and buses and so i sort of had mixed feelings about it i was excited that the muppets were going to be popular again and as it got closer and closer to coming out and as it did come out it was like oh great this is a huge deal like everyone's paying attention to my thing that for my whole life people had not been paying attention to i didn't know anybody else my age who gave a darn about the muppets i was on an island a a muppet treasure island if you will and it was sorry it was weird (laughs) when suddenly like the muppets really mattered and so when it came out i saw it in theaters three times and i was torn between feeling really really glad that a muppet movie that was fine it was all right was really successful because that was good for the muppets like it was getting all positive reviews At this point, I feel like Rotten Tomatoes was a relatively new thing that people were paying attention to maybe more than ever. And it was like 99% for a while. It was astonishing just how much critics and audiences were totally on board with this movie. And I'm like, great, but like, can we have a critical reappraisal of The Great Muppet Caper and recognize that that one is better and all of the reviews for that should be good? Like, I almost want the reviews for the 2011 film to be a little bit worse because, no, it's not the perfect example of what a Muppet movie should be. Well, we have those reviews for you today. This movie is a good movie if you don't know anything about the Muppets. If you're like us and know so much about the Muppets, well, are you going to like the movie? It's a big probably no. I, I think you're, you're right there. But I do wonder why then the beginning really doesn't spend a whole lot of time trying to convey who or what the Muppets are. Like you get that brief little montage of clips from the Muppet show that are like some percentage of the frame surrounded by every all the other crap in the living room in Jason Siegel's house, I guess. Just that little TV screen with a little bit of Peter Sellers disappearing. And it's like, oh, is The Muppet Show a show where uh, Peter Sellers magically appears and reappears at different times? Is that what The Muppet Show is? You get a very small sampling there. And when they show Manamana as part of The Muppet Show montage, they're showing the newly recorded version as though it's part of The Muppet Show. For the first time I noticed that and I was like, I, I don't even know what's going on. Why couldn't you just use the old one? Don't you know that everything new is better? So much of the 
beginning, even though I love, you know, Walter's monologue of talking about like, I'm different. And as long as there's Muppets in the world, there's laughter or whatever it is. Like, it still gets to me because, you know, nostalgia and feeling like that growing up as well when it comes to Muppets and just life in general. It feels like Jason Segel and Nick Stoller wrote this. You guys know what The Muppet Show is. Okay, um, here we go. Nostalgia, nostalgia. But it's also like, again... You know, not to not to get ahead, I know I haven't explained, like, my history with it or whatever, but, like, it also isn't nostalgia. It's telling us that it's nostalgia, but it's, like, weirdly nostalgia for things that didn't happen. It It isn't accurate to what the Muppet show is or the Muppets dynamic was. Or any of these these things, you know, and and really, there's no better there's no better indication of that than like, geez, we talked so much. I mean, on Tough Pigs, we talked so much at the time about all of this different stuff, but like Muppet Man, when they're like, when they're like, oh, of course we got to do Muppet Man, and it's like, okay, I have seen like literally everything there is to see. I mean, I guess I never saw a celebration of 30 years. I mentioned that in today's episode of um, <laughs> It's on YouTube. Of Hubawa. But um, I've never seen, I haven't seen literally everything, but I've seen so much. Muppet Man is not like their signature go-to move. I can't think of like a single time that they did it. And the movie just has so, so many moments like that. Like when, when Kermit, when Scooter, Scooter or Kermit, I can't remember, is like, you know, we all expect that Kermit is going to sing a duet with Miss Piggy. And it's like, I can't even think of a time that Kermit sang a duet with Miss Piggy. Couldn't we ride? I guess kind of, but they, they, the others come in. The thing about it is it's not accurate Muppet nostalgia. It's Jason Segel's nostalgia for the Muppets. Is It's what it is. It's like Jason and Nick, are, they didn't acti actively look back at the Muppet show or the original trilogy of Muppet movies and, and were like, yes, we're going to do in-depth research. They're like, no, this is what the Muppets are like, right? Yeah, I remember that, kinda. Write it in the script. It's not accurate nostalgia. It's just, it's going on the street and you're like, do you remember this? It's like, sure. They they, they do reference a number of things from uh, the Muppet show and the previous Muppet film, or some of the previous Muppet films. A lot of it kind of gets overlooked. But with something like Muppet Man, that is one of the areas where First of all, we all do remember Muppet Man from Little Muppet Monsters. It was in every episode we all saw this. Everyone saw it. Everyone saw it. That's why they had to cancel it, because too many people were watching it, and the network got scared, and they're like, no, we have to pull this after three episodes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was proving to be dangerous. American society stopped functioning for three weeks in September there, because all people wanted to do... Little Muppet Monsters would come on TV in hospitals. Like, doctors would just abandon their patients to watch Boo, Tug, and the third one. Um, the third one. Was it Alice? It couldn't have been Alice. No, it was the third one. It was the third one. And they all would do Muppet Man. And <laughs> so I'm glad that this movie referenced that. But really, that's one of those areas where they are 
supposing that there was some area of Muppet history that nobody ever saw, which kind of makes sense because we don't know for how long they were doing the Muppet show before what we see on the show starts. We don't know. Like, you never know what actually happens off screen. So maybe the Muppets were doing Muppet Man all the time during, you know, commercial breaks on the Muppet show. We don't know. But it is one of those areas where they kind of say the Muppets have a long enough history that if we need something to be a plot device, we can kind of just make it up. And it's a similar thing with Muppet. It's a similar thing with Muppet Ladder and Muppets Most Wanted, where it's like, we need a plot device here. Let's suppose that the Muppets have done a lot of hijinks that we just haven't seen and use it if it's fun. But but JD, I'd argue it doesn't need to be a plot point. If anything, I I would have liked it if they said, like, let's put on a costume like Kermit's three-part plan from Muppets Take Manhattan, where he wears all sorts of different costumes. I, 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 I agree. It is... <laughs> it's odd that it even works because in the in the in that scene it doesn't even logically make sense that somehow when they when they just become a weird enough thing by joining together in a suit suddenly the receptionist is like oh i'd better let you uh see miss piggy then like it, it's i'm not quite sure i think the idea is that they see someone else in there who like for half a second you get a shot of someone in a big suit with that mustache and hat. And somehow they just kind of assume, oh, that guy in the building, because he's in this building, would be able to get an appointment with Miss Piggy. And yet, I, I, I don't know. It, it none, none of the logic there works, and it feels like it's one of the things where the, the scene, it, it, like every scene in this, I think it went through about a billion rewrites. Mm-hmm. And... The version that we got is the version that we got because somebody thought it would be an interesting visual or cute. And that seems to be how most things ended up in this script. I do have, I have so many notes, but in the back of my notes is um, just, they repurposed a lot of scenes. There's, There's just a bunch of scenes that they shot from like older versions of the script that they kind of repurposed and reused to like fix the plot quote unquote it just makes the movie very muddled of like what's what is going on the plot makes very little sense and i know muppet movies don't necessarily need plots that make sense and to be fair none of them really have plots that make sense but the other ones almost relish in the plot that makes no sense in a different way Mm -hmm. there's something charming about the fact that in the muppet movie it's like yeah i don't know if we all get to hollywood in you know in three days for this frog audition then we'll all become celebrities and it's like no there's nothing about needing you know gonzos but that doesn't matter because it's just kind of cute and charming in this There's so many things that you're left wondering about. What even happens at the end of this movie? And I know there were many (laughs) rewrites to the ending. Uh, Originally, they were going to lose. Then there was a thing that they were only a dollar short, and Statler and Waldorf paid the last dollar. Then there was a thing. What even happens? I've seen this movie so many times, and I cannot tell you how the movie ends you can't do that is because it's playing over the credits the ending is just over the credits but like what (laughs) and what does it even mean for tex richmond to take the muppets names 
if they're people like <laughs> if the muppets are real he can't just claim like you're no i mean like and again muppets tonight did that as a joke when mr grouper i think that was the name of their producer mr grouper comes in with behemoth and is like kermit you're now virgil the monkey because kids like monkeys more than frogs that was a funny joke there mm-hmm. Because we weren't asked to, like, literally think of it as, like, high stakes. This, it's like, oh no, the Muppets are going to lose their ability to be Muppets. So it's like, what? is? Does that mean, like, Kermit can't be called Kermit anymore? That's his name. That's, I, it's like Tex Richmond is pulling a Elon Musk of, like, of, you know, taking the name. Like, the brand. Like, the, you know, Tesla Muppets. Not, you know... Because the well, Muppets are like species, but it's not. It's ugh, I'm tired. I'm so tired. Well, Mr. I, Tesla is dead, I think, and that makes a little bit of a difference. But, he is. But, but, but I, I think he's dead. He is. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is. Have we checked? Has anyone looked? That's, you know, to be fair, I haven't. There's a nice statue of him in, uh, by Niagara Falls, uh, but no. maybe he's oh. alive inside of the statue. Like Han Solo? Yes. Becca, can you take us back to 2011? <laughs> Talk about uh, what things were like for you when this movie was coming out? Sure. Uh, so I, at the time, I was in college, and I grew up, I was always a big Muppet fan. I've talked about it extensively on Tough Pigs. I'm not going to go into it any further um i wasn't writing for tough pigs in 2011 but at the time i was a, a pretty if i can toot my own horn a pretty big part of that uh predecessor to muppets twitter that was muppets tumblr uh because tumblr used to be a social media platform yeah and i i was so into the muppets and you know uh jd was talking about this a little but like at the time, there really was this this dearth, this lack of content. Like, it's really, you know, we complain about it from time to time now, and, and somewhat rightly so, but, like, this was a pretty long span between major Muppet projects and, and this. And a lot of those were really not good. You know, the, the only two major ones I can think of or three, we had, you know, like, Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie, which is not good. We had Muppets Wizard of Oz, which was not good. And we had Letters to Santa, which was fine. It was very different than, than, than it is now. A, a lot of us, like myself included, kind of thought, you know, Disney had bought the Muppets, and Disney didn't do anything. I mean, they, they made Muppet Wizard of Oz and Letters to Santa, but like, they weren't good, the stuff that they were putting out. And I know that I had kind of resigned myself that the Muppets was just an old, an old thing. And it was just like, okay, well, I'll always have, you know, some DVDs, but not all of them. And I still resent Disney for that. I'll always have, you know, all of this other stuff, but uh, it won't be any new stuff. And then we heard, and like JD was saying, it was so, so exciting. It was so exciting. And we, we were looking for every possible detail. I mean, I was out there, you know, watching and re-watching trailers and clips. Like, oh, you know, 
Link Hogthrob is here, and, and what outfit is he wearing, and what might that suggest about what he's going to do, and, you know, and, and, and all of these, all of these different things, and it was so exciting. It was such a wonderful time just to be, be so excited, and, you know, we were excited for Walter, too, because this is a, I have such weird feelings about Walter, and let me say, you know, Maria and I were talking a little before the podcast recording. Walter has performed so well. Peter Linz is such a wonderful performer. But at the time, Walter was the most exciting thing because, like, Walter was us. It was like, wow, a movie about me. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and and I remember, you know, one of my uh, fellow Tough Pigs writers, I remember... Uh, at the time, Julia Gaskell was so into Walter. And I don't know where she currently stands on that, you know, but we we were thrilled. A, a character who was us, who was a fan. Yeah. So when this movie came out, I was at college and I I decided that I was going to make a big deal out of it because it was important to me, but I was going to make sure that it was important to everybody. So I got together a group of maybe 10 to tw- 10 to 15 of my friends from college and I was like we are going to a midnight premiere of The Muppets 2011. I have no idea why our local theater was doing a midnight screening of The Muppets 2011. There were maybe two people in the theater other than us. <laughs> But they did it, and we went, and and I went dressed as Dr. Teeth. I did a full Dr. Teeth cosplay. Um, I'll, I'll try to find the picture. I believe it is on Tough Pigs. And my sister was Janice, and uh, one of our friends was dressed as Piggy, and we, not everyone went dressed up, but we, we did all of that. And I saw it, and I was crying, and I loved this movie. I was like, this movie is perfect. It is everything that the Muppets need to be doing right now. It is so good to see everybody again. Everybody is so talented who worked on this. And I loved Life's a Happy Song. And I listened to that like on loop. And then I saw it again with a second group of friends um, because my friends from high school were in town for Thanksgiving, and I was like, you guys have to come see The Muppets 2011 with me. So we saw it again, and then I would watch it all the time on Blu-ray, and I was like, I don't know, maybe this is like one of my favorite Muppet movies, period. And then what happened is Muppets Most Wanted came out. And Muppets Most Wanted, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I was like, oh, wait, this is what a Muppet movie feels like. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. not, not this one. And then I started like reassessing it and I'm like, wait a minute, hang on here. Like none of the Muppets get to sing songs in this movie. And like... None of the Muppets really get to do anything in this movie. And there's so many scenes that just don't have the Muppets at all. And it isn't really funny. There aren't really that many jokes (laughs) that make me laugh. And 
I think just it was so easy to get swept up in like what it felt like to be someone who was, you know, on social media, on fandom media about this and was doing, you know, I was creating my own art and I was, you know, doing all of this stuff at at the time, what it felt like to be, to be that and have this movie come out. And then when other better stuff came out after, it was like, wait a minute, no, what, maybe we didn't need this. I had a very similar experience. I'm pretty sure that I rounded up a bunch of friends from high school when it, when this movie came out, and I made them watch it. But immediately I started to see some, some reactions that made me question it. I mean, I, I was always skeptical. Like, I was always of two minds about it being, like, super excited, going, this is the coolest thing ever. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I think I was going to try to see a midnight screening, but then it was like, you know, it's they're, they're doing it, like, the day before. I can go in the morning <laughs> on the Thursday instead of doing midnight on the friday just for the sake of doing it anyway yeah i i once i took i think twice i took different family members to see it once i took friends from high school to see it and immediately i i saw some just particularly one of my friends from high school be just not totally enthused about it and saying i mean the comedy's just like it's chuckle humor it's not laugh out loud humor it's chuckle humor and that's always stuck with me because it does it does kind of hit the nail on the head in a way. And some of it's not even chuckle humor. Some of it's just frustrating and kind of upsetting. I mean, we all talk about the fart shoes. That's the obvious example. The amount, you know, like, I don't know if, if any of you were on the Tough Pigs forums back then, but the amount of back and forth that we all had about <laughs> the fart shoes. It's a back and forth on this podcast. Mary <laughs> loves them. And I hate them with a passion. Yeah, it's an odd thing because I think, I feel, this is more information than is relevant, but I am going to provide it anyway. I feel like I was upset, not just with the lack of Muppet content that was uh, out there when I was growing up. I was just upset with media generally. I, like, as such an old school person who's a very, I'm a grumpy old man at heart. And I feel like I just wanted more stuff that felt like it had been around since the 60s, 70s, 80s. And I was frustrated to be born in the 90s when you've got these Disney Renaissance movies that I really liked, and then have to grow up after that in the post-Shrek environment of children's films, where crude humor, potty humor, fart jokes, that kind of thing was really at the forefront. Everything had to have modern pop songs that you know like just the entire formula for what a children's movie changed into something that did not resonate with me for so much of when i was growing up and so when the trailer for the 2011 film dropped i was super excited about most of it but then there was that fear like oh if this has fart shoes in it this could just be like every other poorly written just low-hanging fruit uh, kind of family comedy that we've seen and now, having watched this movie several times, I'm still not sure whether I'm watching a really great Muppet movie or a mediocre family film that has Muppets in it, or perhaps the other way around. It's more like it's a really great family film for what it is. For, for the, when you consider the 
the part of the Disney company that was making this. This was like the people behind... It's the same part of Disney that would give us the odd life of Timothy Green, or years later, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It was... Like, this was still the section of the Disney company that existed then that currently doesn't seem to be a thing that was all about, we're just going to do, like, normal scripts for just normal family films that any other studio could do. Like, this movie definitely comes in a moment in the history of the Disney company that we'll just never see again when they had to be a real movie studio and consider doing screenplays about different topics other than one of their core brands. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the thing, is, like, it, it was such a different media landscape, because, again, now, and that's, that's like, I think Disney Plus is going to be good for the Muppets. Not to interrupt, I'm sorry I interrupted mm-hmm. you, but, like, you're right, like, Disney only makes a movie that is a live-action remake of, you know, an old Disney movie, a Star Wars movie, a Marvel movie, or a new Disney or Pixar cartoon. And, and it just doesn't quite fit. It's a very different time. Anyway, you were saying, I'm sorry. I'm actually, I think I mostly just wanted to tee you up to continue talking about that, because at some point you, I'm remembering a quote from you on some other podcast, and I'm not sure which one, <laughs> uh, that involves the, the words, all of the money. I'm wondering if you can, if you can think of that. It, it, it was so, something to the effect of, at this point, Oh, right, 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 right. It was, I, I, I do remember what I was saying. Um, I don't even remember what podcast I was on. Oh, it was when I was on the uh, Tough Pigs at 20. It's, it's this interesting position, and this is kind of more related to Muppets Most Wanted, I think, where a studio, it's not just enough for a movie to make a profit these days. A studio needs to make, like, all of the money is what I said. And it's, it's this idea that, like, if a, if a movie doesn't make, like, a billion dollars, it's a failure. Because we saw, and the reason I brought this up was because of Muppets Most Wanted on that podcast. But we saw with Muppets Most Wanted, like, Muppets Most Wanted turned a profit. It, it, it did earn more money than it costs to make and costs to market. But it didn't make all the money. And it's tough because, you know, I think Disney has struggled to figure out, you know, you were saying about Muppet domination. Disney has sort of struggled how to figure out how to make the Muppets into that kind of brand and not a kind of just good niche product. I was just going to mention about Most Wanted. I'm always going to hate that Disney put Muppets Most Wanted up the same weekend that they put up the last Hunger Games movie just setting it up to fail like you have this big trilogy of the hunger games that's such a big thing up against muppets most wanted disney had a tendency to do that at that time because you might recall the actually wonderful new winnie the pooh movie just called winnie the pooh for the same name convention came out the same day as deathly hallows part two i i remember that because uh when my mom was taking me to go see that uh her uh friend's son went to go to see Deathly Hallows. Like, we split off. Go see it. So I remember that very clearly. And that movie also, I mean, like, again, I don't, obviously don't like it as much as, like, the Muppet movies, but, like, 
I think that movie is better than Disney gave it credit for. But again, it's it's tough and it's it's weird. But you know, one thing that I will say, I really did enjoy Muppets Haunted Mansion. I didn't think it was like the best thing ever, but I thought that it was good. And I'm I'm hoping that Disney Plus sort of provides more venues for things like that. Because if they're if they're gonna keep making Muppet content, I'd rather see, you know, things like that than, you know. I think that was probably better than Muppets 2011. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm gonna bring some numbers into this because I'm a dork. I think that we talk about the 2011 movie like it was this really big success. And in many respects, it was. In many respects, it was, actually. Like, it, again, critics really liked it. Audiences really liked it. It won an Oscar, the Muppets' first mm-hmm. and only Oscar award. And I will say it's probably the only one they will ever get. Yeah. This is probably true. So this was a big deal. <laughs> and again, because of the Muppet domination thing, this was the one time when Disney was like, okay... We're going to make the Muppets inescapable everywhere. And of course, for those of us following the, the, the fan sites, the news sites, it was wild to see websites that had been struggling to make content for so long suddenly like hitting me with 10 articles at least per day just mm-hmm. with updates on all of the new things that were happening. So this was a big deal. Disney decided that this was going to be their big Thanksgiving release for the, for the year. And Thanksgiving for Disney is a big weekend. All the movie studios, I think, care about that weekend. But Disney in particular, because it's such a perfect time to release a family film. And that was Disney's thing. Like, because everyone's back home for Thanksgiving and stuff like that, you've got the whole family together. Of course, when all the family gets together, what do they not want to do? Actually talk to each other. They need a thing to go do. So everyone goes to see a movie. So let's look at some of the other movies that Disney released around this as their big Thanksgiving weekend releases. So before this in 2010 was Toy Story 3. I'm not seeing how much it was made for. I feel like the the budget was high. It grossed a billion dollars, a little over a billion. I'm seeing 1.067 billion. So good for Toy Story 3. Now we expected that to make all of the money because Toy Story was a more recent more relevant franchise that a lot of families still really cared about. The next year, Disney's big Thanksgiving release in 2011 is The Muppets, which makes a nice 165.2 million. That's less. Um, That's a lot less, but it is pretty good compared to the budget of like 40 million. So like it multiplied its budget by four times. That's pretty good. The following year, uh, we get an original property in Wreck-It Ralph, so no nostalgia there. There's no audience coming back for this. I mean, yes, nostalgia, because they threw a ton of characters in it. They hit you with Bowser and Sonic and all that. Okay. But still basically an original property that doesn't have this... It can't pull the same trick as you liked movies one and two, so come see this one. This made $471 million. And then uh, the next year, I'm seeing their... Uh, Thanksgiving release was Frozen. Uh, that one curiously didn't make any money. I'm kidding. It made 1.282 billion. Huge. Exactly what I was saying. Where it's like the Muppets was successful, but you know, compared to Frozen, <laughs> anything compared to Frozen. <laughs> and yet, even compared 
to modest Wreck-It Ralph with its mere 471 million is still so many hundreds of millions more than the most successful thing the Muppets have done in the past 30 years since, like, I'm assuming Christmas Carol was successful. I didn't bring the numbers for that. I'm a bad dork. I'm dorky enough to bring some numbers. I didn't look that up. But it's incredible that we still hear people saying, well, the 2011 movie was such a big success. You know, why hasn't that made Disney go, you know, hey, let's throw all the money at the Muppets. Let's let's give the people who made that movie more creative control over the Muppets. Like, no, it was, this is a movie that did fine. But for a Thanksgiving release, seeing what it could be, what they can put in that slot, of course, of course, by the time they got around to the sequel, they were like, yeah, we don't have high hopes for this. We don't have high expectations for this anyway. Let's just put this somewhere as we transition our company into being uh, not a company that makes this kind of thing anymore. To, to answer your question, the budget for Muppet Christmas Carol was $12 million, and in North America, it grossed a total of $27.3 million. I think I, I've been looking at the global totals, and I'd love to know what Muppet Christmas Carol made around the world, but that's still a very telling number that, again, it's something that, like, it did well compared to its budget, but there's no, there's no obvious place for it in the new Disney theatrical system. Like, they, they have a place for small-budget movies, and it's their nature documentaries, which they make for $5 million, and every time, reliably, they bring back at least $30 million. And it's something that they don't really have to worry about or give much thought to. For whatever reason, they can keep putting out these nature documentaries in theaters, and it just works for a little extra pocket change. Okay, but what if Kermit the Frog narrated a nature documentary? Oh, that would be so good. That, wow. What, what animal would he do a nature documentary about? Frogs. Oh, you know, I didn't think of that one. <laughs> hmm. Excuse me, toads. He would do toads. What if he did pigs? What if he did a whole nature documentary about the lives of pigs? <laughs> but like, he does the whole thing nervously. The entire documentary, there's no confidence in this narration. It's all it's very hesitantly. Well, usually they uh, wallow, uh, wallow around in a, a, a swill. Uh... I, I laughed so hard I accidentally ripped my headphones out. <laughs> That's the goal. I just came back to JD doing a Kermit impression. <laughs> <sighs> Those are my thoughts on how we'll never get a Muppet movie again. Yeah, well, that's why I'm saying that I think, weirdly, like, Haunted Mansion, if there is a future, Haunted Mansion is the future. For better or for worse. I, I think they're taking it back to this, you know, similar to what you were saying, one of the things that strikes me as very weird about this movie rewatching it and it builds kind of off of this is you know the conceit seems to be that the muppets haven't done anything since what did what do they say they say like 30 years the original one of the like not original scripts but one of the scripts that they were using for filming was that the 90s and early 2000s didn't exist for the Muppets. Like, this was a world that after Muppets Take Manhattan, the Muppets didn't do it. They disbanded. This was like an alternate universe type thing where Christmas Carol and all that didn't exist. That is kind of supported, though, by this, this movie. You know, even just by the very fact that it basically... the 
I mean, Big Mean Carl and like Pokey are are in the background of of a shot, but like the only new characters who have major roles are Bobo and Deadly, and and they're not with the Muppets, or rather Bobo. Deadly is an older character. It's it's just Bobo, and he's not with the Muppets. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. And it it that's part of what I was saying too, and what you were saying about how it's like it's Jason Siegel's nostalgia rather than necessarily like the accurate nostalgia. Look, Muppets Tonight is imperfect. You know, I'm not gonna claim that it's what? as good as the Muppet Show. <laughs> Lying. But uh, what I am gonna say is like it happened, and I have nostalgia for it. This is something that I, I keep wondering about is. What's the best way to understand this film's understanding of what the Muppets have been doing and why they need a resurgence? Because if, uh, the, I'm sure the listeners at home have been listening to every episode of Muppet Fans Talking Up until this point and remember the Muppets 2011 rewrite episode uh, that describes this... I don't remember who said it, um, but... The, the 2011 film's whole conceit of the Muppets haven't been doing anything is described as gaslighting. And I think I understand that perspective. Like, just the idea that that the movie is trying to convince you, the viewer, that anything that the Muppets did after Muppets Take Manhattan literally doesn't exist. And for those of us who are fans, it's like, no, 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 no. I, I was there. I remember things existing, actually. You might not want me to remember Studio DC Almost Live, and you're right in not wanting me to remember that, but I was definitely there watching that at home. That that was a thing. Peculiar thing about this narrative choice that they've made for their, for their premise is that they end up canceling out the experience of Muppet fans who have been watching the Muppets this whole time, who have been supporting them this whole time, while also perfectly capturing the experience of being a Muppet fan and feeling like they haven't been doing anything. Somehow both of these are true. It is indeed precisely the feeling that I went into the theater with at the time, that this is the first thing the Muppets have done in my lifetime, and also this is one of many things that the Muppets have been doing, and I've been watching all of them. This is just the one that's getting the most attention. In my notes um, that I, when I, Sprout and I rewatched the movie two days ago, uh, and I paused it constantly to rewrite notes, and I got a preview of me rambling and ranting <laughs> the entire night. Um, but Disney is actively gaslighting you into thinking the Muppets aren't popular again when it's Disney's own fault. Ooh. Yeah. I think that it's it's tricky to determine to what extent we are supposed to believe that's true of our world and to what extent it's just this is the concept for this movie. And the film really struggles to figure out to what extent it knows it's a movie, how much you're supposed to think this is the Muppets' real lives versus their movie lives. Like, they break the fourth wall, they reference that it's a movie, but when they do, it's almost... Awkward. Like when Amy Adams has that line that's in the trailer where she says, this is going to be a really short movie. I think it always got a laugh in the theater, but after a few seconds when people processed, oh, oh, this is one of those old-timey absurdist comedies that can make that kind of joke? Because it certainly doesn't feel like one up until that point. That's that's kind of what I was saying about the, the stakes feeling so much more inconsistent. You know, because it feels like they're trying to make it very real and very technical 
and very much like about corporations and, and things like that. But those kind of stakes muddle the, the sort of unreality that the Muppets that these earlier movies kind of have. There's there's specifically one part where they're going to get Fozzie and Kermit is like, uh, these are my friends, Gary and Mary, and this is my personal friend, Walter, and it's just a gag so Walter can faint again. But in my notes, I put, it feels at times, like a 2005 fan fiction written by a preteen who's going through a traumatic experience at home. Sometimes the movie just feels like bad fan fiction. It's this weird balance. Again, let me let me say, at the time I loved Walter, I still love how he is performed. But it's so weird that this is like the Walter movie. And like, <laughs> Walter doesn't actually have ostensibly the arc in this movie instead of being given to kermit is given to walter but i was thinking about how i'm not really sure what walter's problem is he has this weird thing where he wants to be tall like it's like whenever things were bad and like we see him like looking at himself in a funhouse mirror and i'm like is that the plot you know he is a muppet he looks like a Muppet and the plot what it was supposed to be is like he's trying to fit into this quote-unquote human world as a Muppet where he's always felt out of place but it's just conveyed to us so weirdly and so the, because it the, the human world feels also very silly because they do this whole like Broadway number in the human world Small town feels like cardboard. I wrote this. Small town feels like fake cardboard. It doesn't feel like a real place. So there's a weird juxtaposition of like, well, why doesn't Walter like it here? This looks like it would be like a cartoony Muppet area. And that's where this movie runs into so many problems just setting up at the very beginning. What in the world it is? It's trying to, it's struggling with the fact that the other Muppet movies get to, right at the top, show you all the Muppets that you know, at the same time that they're, within the first few minutes, presenting the world of the movie, and so you get all of the tone at once. This film has to convey that it is a Muppet movie in style and tone, even though it kind of can't really figure out how to be that, at the same time that it is introducing you to a character who is a Muppet but because he is a Muppet, feels out of place in that style and tone. There's an inherent contradiction here that it can't quite manage. I was going to say, we also know in the world of the Muppets, Muppets are kind of just around sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not every, and this is where we run into the problem with the word Muppet, but not every Muppet is a Muppet. Mm -hmm. huh? Some are Muppets. That's true, but like, exactly. Like, oh, don't get me started. Um, I, I, there, there's a full page of me just yelling. When, like, like, okay, so Constantine, not to bring it to a, a, another movie, a movie that comes after this one, but, like, Constantine is a Muppet in that he is a small little puppety guy who can do all sorts of, you know, puppety things. But he's not a Muppet in the sense that he isn't part of the performing troupe, the Muppets, that performed The Muppet Show or Muppets Tonight. Walter is just that. Like, it feels like it's, like, so obvious. Like, 
the Muppets encounter other, oh, there's a puppet here, you know, oh, we're, we're going to this place, and I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense with this. It can't decide, and you guys are absolutely right, like that opening scene. Life's a Happy Song is a lovely little song, but I, I spend the whole time watching that musical number going like, okay, but where are the Muppets? I think my question when I watch Life's a Happy Song is, what does this song think its function is in the movie? Because again, yeah. you, you, you have this question of, is this setting the tone of what the Muppets are, seeing as how it's the first big number in a movie called The Muppets, or is it setting the tone of the world that Walter doesn't belong in because narratively it needs to function as the latter. I get, I've always had some frustration with Life's a Happy Song because I feel it is a little bit too well happy. That's, that's a weird complaint to have about this song, I guess. Perhaps a stupid one, in fact. But I, I was talking about this with another Muppet fan who I guess I won't name because I feel like I've used my name drops for this episode. You're only allowed to name drop Johannes. <laughs> Johannes is the only man that exists in Muppet Fans Talking Universe. <laughs> well, what about Jacob Jacobson? Well, J but he's a puppeteer. I meant like a, another Muppet okay. fan. Once you guys, okay. once both of you leave this podcast, you cease to exist. Okay. Good, good, good. So. <laughs> then I don't have to go to work tomorrow. That's great. <laughs> so. What was I going to say? I completely lost my train of thought, even though this was the main thing I wanted to talk about in this podcast. I'm sorry. I, yes, I was talking to a non-Johannes, a non-existent person, uh, who is a Muppet fan whose name you would know, about how when this came out and he was about my age, he was like, he came into this very, very skeptical and just mad like why is somebody else making a Muppet movie they don't know what they're doing and then you see life's a happy song and it's like okay they clearly don't understand the, the what the Muppets are because this whole vibe is this very very um uh well it would make sense in a Sesame Street movie like for a movie that's called the Muppets it's odd that they open with a song that feels like it would be more at home in Sesame Street, Barney the Dinosaur, even Care Bear's super happy property that is very much, you know, la 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 la, that feels very child-oriented. And I've my, my excuse for this has always been, well, this isn't necessarily saying this is the tone of the Muppets, it's just the tone of this place. To name drop another Amy Adams movie, um, it feels like it's in the similar vein of the Enchanted movies, where she's this, you know, bright-eyed um, cartoon character in the real world. It feels like, it feels fake, you know, of, of her being this cartoon character. But then we're supposed to believe that town is like a real town and Walter's not supposed to be happy here because he looks different. It's, it. Again, cardboard. It just feels like cardboard. Then why is it so zany? The Muppets should bring the zaniness with them. That's literally how Great Muppet Caper opens, right? It's like there's this mm -hmm. city where ostensibly, like, this stuff, but then the Muppets, like, fall into it, and problems keep happening when the Muppets get involved, and Sweetums comes out of a manhole cover and stuff like that. Like... It's where he lives. Yes. I think because this movie, it looks like the other movies that Disney was making at the time, sort of in this 
house. It's it, it feels like so much of it was just made in the house style, particularly with the score. That is, for the most part, just it, it sounds like every other score by what's his name, Christoph Beck. This movie, I think, it's trying to subvert something. It's trying to create some uh, conflicts and contrasts, and it doesn't quite know how to make them distinct enough. When you look at the place where they're doing Life's a Happy Song, I'm pretty sure it's the Warner Brothers backlot. So this is the same place where they filmed The Music Man. And when talking about this in interviews, uh, Jason Siegel would also talk about old classic musicals. He was particularly interested in the old Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland musicals. He kept saying, we're doing an old school Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland musical with the Muppets. I don't know about that. Because of, because of him saying that in interviews, I bought a DVD collection of those, and I've seen like three of them. They're fine. And yet, they're not this. They're not what we're getting here. This also isn't The Music Man. At some point, he, he mentions in the audio commentary doing like an old MGM musical, and yet this doesn't feel like the old MGM Arthur Freed thing. It doesn't quite feel like Singing in the Rain. This movie thinks that it is presenting you with with a tribute to and a parody of classical Hollywood musical, a stereotypical classical Hollywood musical, and yet it doesn't seem to have watched any of those. In the commentary, yeah. Bobin says his favorite classic musical is like Oliver, which is totally different. <laughs> I don't understand what their reference points are, and that, that puts them in a rough spot. You know, they don't know what it is that they're working with. They don't know how to manage audience expectations because they don't even know what they're expecting themselves just comes back to in that same vein of Jason Siegel's nostalgia. It's Jason Siegel's idea of what a Judy Garland movie is. I mean, he did get Mickey Rooney. He did get Mickey Rooney to appear for a few seconds in this. And he got Mickey Rooney's son to be the choreographer for the film. Hmm? But the weird part is, he didn't know when he hired Michael Rooney that <laughs> Michael Rooney's was the son of Mickey Rooney. <laughs> How do you not know? Exactly. There's a great story, though, where Michael, I, I, JD, I, or do you want to tell it? Because I assume that's what you're building up to. Go ahead. They were on set doing the choreography for that. And Michael Rooney was saying, was telling um, Mickey Rooney, you know, what to do. And he was like, so, Dad, you're going you're gonna to go here and you're going to do that. And Jason Siegel pulled him aside and said, you can't just call every old man you see dad. That's Mickey Rooney. And he's like, no, you need to understand that man is my dad. <laughs> you dumbass. That's my dad. That's what I call him. You call your dad dad, I assume. <laughs> it's truly one of my favorite behind-the-scenes stories from any Muppet production, and there are a lot of good ones. It's interesting to say, like, we need to have Mickey Rooney here as our anchor point for what a classic movie is, what a classical Hollywood musical is. It's so odd that, that that's the thing that Jason Siegel fixated on. I get it in part because when you... I, I can see the through line from something like Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movie, Babes on Broadway is all about a couple of kids trying to get a show on Broadway. And I see the through line from that to Muppets Take Manhattan. That makes sense. But then it's odd because they're usually trying to do vaudeville, and the Muppets are also trying to do vaudeville, but when you focus too much on the way that Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney think of vaudeville, then you get into the problematic stuff in old movies that the Muppets have very conveniently made you forget was essential to vaudeville. 
like you can definitely understand the Muppets as a franchise, specifically on the Muppet Show, as this high concept. What if vaudeville wasn't the most problematic thing ever? How would we reimagine vaudeville as something that's totally okay? There are those eighteen episodes of the Muppet Show. Well, yes, but uh, that's true. But tried their best. They they for the seventies they tried their darndest, and so. It's an odd thing to focus on, but it, it particularly becomes a problem because this is the writer's idea for the characters of Gary and Mary. This idea of a perfect, old-timey, stereotypical, you know, post-war, perfect, happy couple that just, I guess, mix, just sort of, in a way, like, missed the rest of time after that. They're still in this... 1950s musical world. I was just saying, the Muppets aren't in the perfect 1950s world. It's like Jason Siegel wants to make a different movie about Gary and Mary. Well, I think that's the that's the concept. I think what the idea for this movie was supposed to be is Walter is a guy who's supposed to be in a Muppet movie, but whoops, he accidentally got put in a 50s MGM musical. Oops. It's even better than what we got, though. Like, that idea is fun. What we got mm -hmm. is just a disconjointed mess. That idea isn't even, you know, like, I, I get that, but I think to the, to the layperson, I don't know how much of a difference it feels like there is between a 50s musical and a 70s musical. Like, mm -hmm. I get everything that you're saying, JD, because I, I do know about all of this, this stuff. <laughs> but, like, to me... If you want Walter to not feel like he fits in, he can't be in a happy place where people like singing. Right. Like, at the end of the day, it can't be that. You're right that it's a little more Sesame Street and it's a little more, you know, this, 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 and this. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know why Walter doesn't feel like he fits in in that world. I'm going to reference the the musical, the guy who didn't like musicals. I don't know if either of you seen it. Um, I have not. Or, or heard of it. Basically, an, like an alien hive mind crashes down onto this town of this guy who doesn't like musicals. And then they're taking over everyone else's bodies. It's this really creepy horror show, but it's so fun. Uh, and, every, and his life turns into a musical. And there aren't any songs... Um, for a good while until, you know, the incident happens where everyone gets turned into a, a, you know, they start breaking out into song and dance and the main guy, Paul, is just freaking out because everyone's singing and it's insane. So it, maybe it would have worked better for like Walter of like, you know, I need to be with the Muppets if there wasn't, if there was a time uh, of uh, with, you know, Gary and Mary and, and small town or Smallville, whatever the fuck its name is. I don't care. Of There's no song and dance. There's no, like, everything looks more, I wouldn't even say it looks realistic. I don't care. Just, it doesn't look like the backlot type setting. Um, and then, you know, you get into more Muppet stuff and like, oh, you start singing and dancing and there's Muppets and you're happy, you know. I completely agree that that makes a lot more sense. Thank you for referencing a very good YouTube musical that I like very much. Uh, but I think, again, we run into the inherent problem in this movie that if they actually do that and they do the concept, here's a guy who clearly should be in a Muppet movie, 
but is in the wrong movie and in this movie no fun no bright colors no songs no dances then we have to wait a while before the movie we're watching called the muppets becomes a muppet movie i'm not saying there's a right answer to any of this only wrong answers when this is your premise we have to wait anyway in in the movie we get it's true maybe you start in the past so you get to see like the muppet show firsthand this isn't another muppet rewrite episode yeah okay <laughs> um so so other 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 things building cuz uh other things that we haven't spoken about are the other songs beyond life's a happy song um mm. Manor Muppet is kind of charming, uh, and it's funny. I think every other song that isn't one of those two is bad. The only song that I would say is good would be, uh, oh, I can't even remember its damn name. Never mind, I should stop with my argument if I can't remember its <laughs> name. Pictures in my head, that one. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And the only, not to harp on people who like Steve's Kermit or, you know, Steve's Kermit in general, that's not this discussion. But that song isn't Kermit singing. That's just Steve's singing voice, in my opinion, with that song. Like, there's some other songs that are like, oh, yeah, that's more Kermit. But that song just sounds like Steve is singing. Throughout his career as Kermit, I feel like Steve was put in the position where everyone was like, okay, we wrote this new song for Kermit. It's five octaves above your range. Enjoy. <laughs> Good luck. And this is definitely <laughs> one of those where he's forced into an awkward place with his voice. And it doesn't totally work. But I still, I, I think I'm on board with that number, and I can't remember any of the others. As opposed to Muppets Most Wanted, where immediately it's just like, oh my gosh, this soundtrack is astonishingly good. Sprout has, uh, it's the reason why this movie is bad. Sprout, you want to say why? You can't remember the other songs? Mm -hmm. Because it's a jukebox soundtrack. The rest of it is just songs from the 80s that are either verbatim the original or just sung by the muppets which is the reason why they have the youtube short there is no original songs outside like there's maybe four and then the rest is all jukebox and it drives me insane the the worst thing and i'm glad you brought this up sprout the worst thing are those needle drops mm -hmm. i can deal with the covers uh i i do kind of like the uh smells like teen spirit barbershop quartet number although it's that. cut way too short you can hardly even tell it smells like Teen Spirit because it doesn't spend enough time on it that as soon as your brain gets the joke, it's over. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really bothers me are the needle drops. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, this is a movie where the Muppets don't really sing any songs. Yeah. Gonzo has no song. Fozzie has no song. Piggy has a third of Me Party, maybe. And I guess sings a duet of Rainbow. I forgot about that song. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Of course you did. And then I guess it's a duet of Rainbow Connection, but that's mostly Kermit. Like, and instead, we have, like, just me and Julio down by the schoolyard, and we built this city <laughs> on rock and roll. And listen, there's no bigger Paul Simon fan than me, but... It's weird that the first song in this movie is a different song, and not even a different song being performed by the Muppets. Yeah. One thing I know we talk, we talk about a ton on, on, on Tough Pigs, 
and I, I've talked to like Joe and Anthony. Oh, I mentioned two, jo, just Joe, that I've just spoken to Joe about. You've talked is, to both Joe and Joe? Yeah. Uh, is that we built this city number, right? Where it goes, <clears throat> you're the Muppets. You do this to music. And then Dr. Teeth goes, well, all right. And at first, for a second, you're like, there's going to be a Dr. Teeth song, of which there is none in this movie. And then he puts the he pushes play on the, the cassette player, right? And We Built This City starts playing. And you're like, okay, it's going to be a needle drop. But then Scooter and Link and Strange Pork and Wayne and Wanda and Sweetums start singing along with it. And you're like, okay, maybe they're going to segue into the Muppets singing this song and they'll get rid of the starship vocals and then it'll be, okay, less like a Muppet movie but more like the Muppet show where they would do something like that. But then they don't. It just stops. And this is this is something that I, I feel like I don't mind nearly as much as everyone else does, but it it's definitely another one of those areas where you see instead of making a Muppet movie that feels like the entire thing is a Muppet project in all of its music, in all of its visual style, in everything, we have the Muppets being plugged into a movie made in the house style that follows the conventions of other family films at the time. And that makes this scene odd and a little bit disappointing. I do want to bring up three things. One, I I, I feel like... The movie would have been better if it was just all original music, and then whenever they put on the Muppet telethon, they did all the, you know, the covers and stuff, because, you know, Muppet Show didn't have original music, it just had covers. That would have made more sense if they wanted to do, you know, those jukebox songs then. Um, two, Fozzie did sing, he sang his dumb little Muppets, uh, Reno cover of Rainbow Connection that I hate. Oh, no. How could I forget Fozzie sang the Rainbow Connection? Which is one of those old classic things we all remember in the Muppets, in, in previous Muppet things on the Muppet show. Fozzie comes out and says, hiya, 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 waka, 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 why are there so many? <laughs> it's... Says our wedding chapel is 24 hours. No marriage certificate is needed. That classic Muppet show bit. Yes. And the third thing I wanted to mention is we did forget one song. Which is when Chris Cooper raps. I didn't forget that song. No. I just didn't mention it. No. Uh, Chris Cooper raps and sings opera if you listen to the extended uh -huh. version. Every time I've seen this movie, my brain represses it. And then Maria will bring <laughs> it up and I die all over again. <laughs> Don't you love me? Um, um, the Disney Plus version doesn't have the extended. I remember watching it. Um, it's brought earlier and then going like oh it doesn't have the whole bit where he's sad because the Muppets were in his birthday uh, entertainment or whatever oh it's so bad you know and that's one of the problems too with like the Disney Plus thing um, because in that case I don't think we need to know Chris Cooper's backstory but um, actually it's now um the extended version of Muppets Most Wanted, I do feel like, is better than the theatrical version of Muppets Most Wanted. 
And that is only on the Blu-ray, so it's a little hard to, to find these days. I think that the full story for uh, Tex Richmond is necessary. For one thing, it's the only thing that gives that number a point. <laughs> okay, yes. Astonishing that they kept, that they did it. But it is the one thing that's like, so here's why this guy is so fixated on the Muppets in particular, and also it explains how he can't laugh, which again is one of those things where I guess if it wasn't a movie that seems determined to care about its plot, I wouldn't care, but since the movie has decided to care a lot about plot, now I'm going to be picky about the plot. That's uh, The movie brought this upon itself, and so I kind of want that to be there, especially because when you get to the very end, to the post-credits um, conclusion, when they have uh, Gonzo hitting him with the bowling ball, that actually is supposed to be the wrap-up of the laughter plot, because that's the first time he's able to laugh in the movie. The idea is that Gonzo fixes his laugh and gives Tex Richmond a happy ending and makes him, you know, fixes his personality and makes him a happy person again. And I don't think I'd fully put together that that was the point of the bowling ball until maybe today. And... Yeah. I, I think it might have something to do with the fact that this movie is juggling a lot of plots. There are eight different plot lines Maria counted. Yes. Yeah. I, I was counting. Originally, I put six. I crossed it, crossed it out, put seven, and then Uncle Deadly's plot line came up, and I crossed it out and put eight. Mm-hmm. I forgot about Deadly's plot. Deadly does have a plot line. Yep. There's no buildup to Deadly's plot line. <laughs> Let's, let, can we hear the list of the eight? Yes, I would love to. Walter wanted to be a Muppet. We have Gary and Mary and their whole plot line of it's their anniversary, but he is trying to be a nice brother. <laughs> we have Kermit and Piggy uh, being broken up. We have the Muppets, uh, Kermit and all of them trying to get all of the Muppets back together. We have Animals plot line where he doesn't mm -hmm. drum anymore because Jack Black tells him not to drum. <laughs> yup. Um, we have Tex Richmond's plotline of digging for oil and trying to get the Muppet Studios. Uncle Deadly's plotline at the end of, um, being like, I'm not a Muppet, I'm a Muppet. And, speaking of Muppets, Muppets are like a plotline in it as well. Like, if you're gonna have them, which I don't recommend you have the Muppets in this movie, just have them as a one-off joke and then don't bring them back. It is, it is, I think the idea is like it's Fozzie versus Muppets. That's sort of a running thing that like the, the Muppets specifically want to spite Fozzie for having left them. That, that seems to be a thing. Fozzie is also particularly interested in the Piggy plot in a weird way. Like Fozzie's always the one who's like, oh, we got to have Miss Piggy here. And it's like, you two never talked. Like, this isn't a thing. <laughs> I interpreted it as being like Fozzie is kind of the most nostalgic of the Muppets because he's the most optimistic, but that's a leap that maybe the movie doesn't, maybe I'm being too, uh, too, too generous. <laughs> the characterization of a lot of these characters in this movie spe specifically um, doesn't match any of the characterizations we've had before and they massacred my boy they just took Fozzie and they crumpled him into a piece of paper he's just so out of character in this movie 
<laughs> he's not funny. Oh, let's start there. And not even not funny in an unfunny way. They make him so stupid. And the thing about Fozzie is he's not stupid. He's gullible. There's a difference. <laughs> and then, yeah, I guess in the better Muppet media where I like his representation more, that that's normally about right. But I feel like he gets to be pretty dumb often enough in a lot of things. But they make him like really stupid in this. Like, yes. He's a kindergartner type thing in this movie. Are we at a Muppet Treasure Island level of stupid Fozzie in this? I feel like they're similar. They're very similar. Okay. okay. What, what drives me up the wall about Fozzie in this one is there are a couple of moments when Fozzie's voice gets weird, even though I never hear Eric Jacobson mess up Fozzie's voice. Uh, ever. In anything else. And... It's only in this, in like a few spaces, where it feels like they brought in someone else to, to dub over a few lines. Don't know, because if you take like Very Merry Muppet Christmas movie, which was, you know, Eric Jacobson's first, you know, theatrical movie of, you know, taking over Frank Oz's characters, Fozzie sounds like perfect. But then you go... Yeah to the 2011 movie which is years later and, and there's just certain points where it's like eric is that you are you okay it's true i i it's particularly when kermit goes to to talk with miss piggy and he's supposed to convince miss piggy to rejoin the muppets and instead kermit gets back in the car alone and ozzy suddenly goes kermit what about miss piggy hug monster is that you and Kermit says, Fozzie, what the heck happened to your voice? <laughs> and Fozzie says, But Kermit, don't you know that the voice is nothing? What about Frank Oz? What about the art, the craft, the puppetry arts, Kermit? Shame on you! I have to leave. Oh, I love it when Muppet movies break the fourth wall. <laughs> I have to it's go. It's always good. It's always good. And then Kermit feels really ashamed and says, Yeah, all right, Fozzie. You can do whatever voice you want. I won't judge you. And then Fozzie says, Thank you, Kermit! Waka waka! <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So good. Eric Bowza, is that you? It's it's just like, why is... What is, like, Animal's side plot? Why is he separate from the Electric Man? Like, they changed Scooter from a theater kid to, like, a tech nerd. They, there's the whole bit at the end where he's like, Well, Kermit, I, I don't go on stage. I've never been on stage before. Oh, that, that scene drives me crazy. It's a lie. That's a lie and you know it. It is a little bit in the territory of properties that suppose that Tom in Tom and Jerry has never spoken. Or that either of them have never spoken. Where it's, it's like, I understand why someone would remember this as a rule. But it is not a rule that exists. Mm. I don't understand why they're like, yes, let's, let's change the, the character of someone of these characters that fans know and have tons of footage of how they used to act. I just, I don't get it. It's a perplexing film. We're, we're being very negative, even though I don't think we hate it, but it is hard to not be negative. You can enjoy something and still critique it. Again, it's, I feel differently about it. Like I said, you know, when I was initially telling my story is that Muppets Most Wanted is what changed my opinion on this, this movie. And it's one of those things that, <clears throat> you know, when something better comes along, it's it's easy to kind of focus on the, the less good parts of this one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
I I think Muppets Most Wanted is a better movie. I still, you know, I still like a lot of the older Muppet movies better, uh, obviously. But I think it's a better movie. And I think we've gotten some other really good stuff since uh, since then. You know, again, like I said, I like I liked Haunted Mansion. You know, I I I feel like I'm okay with being kind of meaner about this movie now that I know that they can do more. Yeah. It's the same with me. It's like I don't want to knock the performers or the puppeteers or actors. I don't even want to knock Jason Siegel as an actor. I'm knocking the writers, which includes Jason Siegel. And it's even beyond just the writers. It's it's so much like a confluence of so many things. Like mm-hmm. JD was saying about like Disney not quite knowing what to do with this, you know, and and all of those all of those different things that uh, you know we we. There's a lot of factors, and and certainly, like I said, I love love the puppeteers and you know the actors, and I I love you know James Bobin has done good stuff, and you know like all, all of these different things. I just don't think that this movie really works because it's trying to just do nostalgia without doing anything new, but it's nostalgia for things that don't exists it's a very confused movie in that regard in particular it again it, it's it's a movie that is constantly making references without any reference points it's always referencing something and yet not necessarily referencing anything it's pointing at nothing another thing that i wanted to bring up is walter's like secret talent that's like a, such a big plot thing for walter at the end of the movie his whistling isn't brought up until 45 minutes into the movie. Him actively whistling. There's no other part at the beginning of the movie where he whistles. And then it never happens again until it's needed for the plot. And here's what I would wonder. Is it needed for the plot? Oh, it's not. Well, I think we get to the fan fiction thing again, where they know that they need to have... Walter succeed at fulfilling his dream of becoming a Muppet, even though, honestly, it's not clear that at any point in the first half of the movie, he even thinks that's on the table. Like, he's an admirer of the Muppets whose goal in life is not to become a Muppet or to join them or anything like that. He's just rooting for them to succeed at something. That's his... I mean, I'm I'm reminded of how, uh, like, in the first Star Wars movie, we all remember that as Luke Skywalker wanting to become a Jedi, when he, like, mentions that he'd like to do that, but that movie's about him wanting to be a pilot. There's a similar thing going on here where, like, it seems like it's a lot more interesting if Walter's dream is he wants to become a Muppet, and that ends up being what happens. But for a while, his focus really is just, I want to help them succeed and get back on their feet. He is not thinking in terms of becoming one, even though that... Would be a little smoother, maybe. This is such a funny thing too, because it's like this idea that the Muppets are defined by a talent. Like the Muppets are like My Little Ponies or something, <laughs> where they each have like one clear job that's like their thing. That's not how the Muppets are. You know what I mean? Like it. it what 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 is Link Hogthrob's? Thing. Bo. Like, 
sometimes he's <laughs> well okay but that's a character trait i know sometimes he sings and sometimes he's a police officer and sometimes he's a space captain like walter doesn't need to have a talent to be a muppet that's not how it works it's true it's true Do, i i feel like i've got a handful of miscellaneous notes left that are all over the place well i was also going to suggest that we end by talking briefly maybe going around and saying at least one thing that we did like about the movie because i i i don't think that this movie is utter garbage there's some things that i like so i think that that would be a nice kind of a nice kind of way to close but um mm-hmm. jd if you want to cover your other miscellaneous notes we we both have some miscellaneous I was going to say, Maria, I know you have a lot of notes as well. Yeah. So the title card at the very beginning, probably one of the less cinematic title cards we've gotten. Not really making a big deal there. It just kind of happens. Uh, when we get to Life's a Happy Song, it is weird that Mary sings the line, Gary's always off with his friend, referring to Walter. It's because when they filmed that at that point, um, Walter and Gary weren't brothers in the script, and they mm-hmm. just never changed it. Or just like roommates. <laughs> they were, yeah, and apparently audiences found the relationship weird. So they had to, <laughs> they couldn't understand why they were together all the time. So they had to, uh, to go back and change that. Yeah. It's not unlike how in Muppets Most Wanted, Walter sings, let's give it a name. How about the Muppets again? And they all say, it's the Muppets again. And then the title <laughs> card appears and says, Muppets Most Wanted. That's a very funny, unintentional joke. <laughs> I really just scrunch up into a little stressful ball every time that happens because it's such a big, obvious, awkward error on the largest scale possible. Yep. I was saying, I like that movie, but that will always bother me when it's like, yes, we're telling you the title. And then a different title appears. I like to imagine in the in the universe of the Muppets that it was going to be called Muppets again, but then because Constantine did all his stuff, it's like, wait, <laughs> Muppets Most Wanted. Like, he changed the name. <laughs> it's particularly, I know this is not a Muppets Most Wanted podcast, and I also know that we're running long, uh, but... We've run way longer. But... I think that for as much as they said that they didn't have a way to fix it, it seems like if the line that they have that's a problem is, it's the Muppets again in the Muppets again, really in is the one word that they needed to find a way to fix, and the rest wouldn't feel like that big of a mistake. And it's odd that they're just like, there's no possible way to to re-record that one word, because if you change in to it's, then the puppet lip sync won't match up. Like, I... What? What? Uh, okay. Can't see my uh, camera, but I just puppeteered. It's in. It's the same. It's just one mouth flap. All right. So we've got. I think. I think this time when I watched it, it was the first time when I got uh, Statler and Waldorf saying "So we've been towed" instead of "So we've been told," and that's supposed to be a joke about Kermit. I don't think I'd ever, ever figured that one out. Uh, I'm still confused about why Statler and Waldorf have the key to Kermit's old office. Particularly confused about why Kermit has this big mansion in Hollywood, and yet he's not really able to pay the, uh, the theater's um, cost. I, I, I feel like there's an answer that's there. Like, at least that should get him some of the money, if not all the money. It's, it, 
It's because um, Piggy made the mansion, and so Piggy has been doing the money for it, and she's, you know, the plus-size editor in, in France. So maybe Kermit's just, like, living there? And, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. Piggy definitely seems to have a lot of money in this, which again raises the question of why money is an issue. Scooter's probably making good money at Google. I mean, Bunsen and Beaker have invented some pretty impressive technology here that makes people shrink, which is one of two shrinking jokes in this, as though that's a particularly Muppety thing. I don't know. They did once invent something that made Beaker shrink. There was definitely one, one but yes. I guess it's just a Muppet joke that I don't like. Fair. It's something that I just find awkward and unnecessary, and it gives me flashbacks to the small Zoe puppet on Sesame Street. It just makes <laughs> me uncomfortable. Oh, no. I hate small Zoe. <sighs> There's Tex Richmond delivering the line, the Muppets think they're so funny. And I'm like, I'm not sure that that's their goal, actually. I certainly don't think Miss Piggy thinks that she's... I don't, I don't think she's aware that she's a comic character. The same would go for Link. Like, Fozzie's trying to be funny. A lot of the other Muppets, I don't think they know that their function is making people laugh, and yet it's a very big part of this movie that the Muppets exist to make people laugh. Like, yeah. supposedly, Gonzo and all of the other characters, I guess, think that that's their mission. And I thought Gonzo was about making high art. I was wrong. This just goes back to the movie gaslighting you. Yeah, I think I am coming around now to the perspective that this movie gaslights. Initially, I'm like, I don't know about that. But I'm starting to think I get that. We are gaslighting you into believing that the movie is gaslighting you. <laughs> good, 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 good. Stupid note, I actually, in preparation for this, because I didn't know whether or not we would have cameras on for this, mm -hmm. I like have my Blu-ray of the film Gaslight here within reach as a prop. <laughs> I prepared for prop comedy. And have so far not had any excuse to do prop comedy because I didn't turn on my camera. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't like that Sam Eagle is singing Nirvana. I don't believe that he would do that. I don't think he's really one of the performers on The Muppet Show who does all the songs with the other Muppets. Not really sure why Sam Eagle's in that at all. And uh, I think everything else we've pretty much covered except that there's that one violinist in the pit who I don't remember seeing in anything else. Did anyone else notice the violinist in the, in the pit? Is it the guy that's bald and he has the mustache, or is it Dolores? I think it's the guy that's bald. What if this is a character that didn't exist at all before this, but Jason Siegel swore up and down? No, there was a violinist in every episode of The Muppet Show. I'm going to draw you a picture of him. He looked like this. He was there. I remember it. Every episode. So here's, here's the easy answer that, without even looking at Muppet Wiki, I can give you, right? They hired Andrew Bird to write a whistling song because Andrew Bird is a musician who incorporates whistling. And Andrew Bird is also a professional violinist. So Andrew Bird wrote Walter's song to be a duet between whistling and violin. And then they realized that they didn't have a puppet who plays the violin. So we got here. That is my full version of the story that I am making up, but based on facts. <laughs> And then they didn't use the violinist puppet in the... But it is Andrew Bird doing the whistling for Walter yes, in that scene. Yes, yes, yes. And presumably also playing the violin in that in that song as well. I, I did have one thing I wanted to bring up. I, I found the international box office amount for Christmas Carol. <laughs> All right. Internationally, it made 
$593,000, bringing the international total to $27.9 million. What? Uh-huh. Yeah, so it made numbers in the Not even four digits internationally. <laughs> I do think the reason why all of us think that this was such like a like a cultural boom for the Muppets is because we were already all on the fan forums. We were already on, you know, Tumblr and, you know, Muppet Central Forum and mm. Tough Pigs and, and Muppet Mindset comments when that was a thing, you know, of <laughs> we were we were all there and everyone was talking about it every day and it was such a big thing for us. Yeah. I remember the Muppet Mindset. I remember it like it was yesterday. Back in my day. There used, but this was before the war. There used to be two Muppet fan sites. Two, I said. The description I am just going to put JD does a bunch of fun voices. <laughs> um, are you good on your notes so I can run speed run through mine? Hey, I'm done. Okay. It's, there, there's a line where Gary um, says, You're drenched in sweat to Walter. He looks exactly the same, and so it's just he looks so either he is not sweaty or Walter is constantly sweaty, and that should have been his skill. Okay, I have another note now. I have another <laughs> note. Sorry, uh, that is one of three times I can think of in this when it really seems like there is a total disconnect between what they shot and what the dialogue says. So that's the first one. When when it says when they say you're sweating and we can see no. The second one is when Fozzie says that explosion looked expensive. Oh, we do not see the see explosion. The explosion. Yeah. Incredible. Apparently they wanted to actually blow up a building and then Disney said, "No, that's expensive." And then they keep the joke in again the movie is pointing at something that doesn't exist this time one that we just saw doesn't exist in that moment the audacity and then finally finally hobo joe very visible in the middle of the audience in the muppet theater when veronica is looking out at the muppet theater audience and saying there's no one here and the joke is supposed to be that nobody notices hobo joe but she's looking at him. It's one thing that the idea is that if you're not looking directly at him, you don't notice him, you forget he's there. It's another thing when he's just invisible until he says his name. I, I, it, it seems like another one of those things where like they had a plan in mind for how they would shoot this when it was written, and then when it was filmed, they just blocked it differently and did not take into account that it would not make sense. It's unfortunate, but here we are, 10 years later, <laughs> and we're still talking about this Bananas movie. One thing I noticed with, with Deadly is he was mimicking um, Tex Richmond's like, movements constantly. I didn't notice until we watched it a few days mm -hmm. ago, where Deadly, like, Tex Richmond would lean in and Deadly would lean in, or, or you know, they'd do their hands the same way, or they'd look the same way, and I was like... Oh, Matt as Deadly is mimicking Tex. That's so fun. They're constantly explaining the plot. There, there's a part where they're in the car and it's the part where they bring back Miss Poogie and Kermit says something like, let's um, talk to Tex Richmond to convince him to give us the theater back. 
We know this, Kermit. You don't have to keep telling us. There are three shots of the poster for Cars 2. There's a lot of unnecessary sound effects that I didn't notice until this last viewing. Like, Jack Black punches, uh, like, two or three people, and it makes this boing sound. Um, there's just a lot of, like, cartoony sound effects that seems like it would be, like, with Roger Rabbit and not with a Muppet movie. I was just going to say, I'm really glad that we here are above unnecessary sound effects. <laughs> I brought Sonic comedy as well as prop comedy. I do what I can. Sonic's here. I love that guy. Way past cool. <laughs> Amy Adams is actually acting in some of this. I can't say the same for Jason Siegel. And it's I used to watch How I Met Your Mother. I know Jason Siegel can act. What was some of those like scenes he was in? <laughs> Wasn't acting. He he was too busy telling um, Mickey Rooney's son what to do. <laughs> he was not, as I understand it, Jason Siegel was not having a good time making this movie. <laughs> like, he wanted to, because he was very happy to be doing a movie with the Muppets, but he had a lot of conflict with Disney, and okay. he was just in a very, very bad place for most of the filming of, of, of this movie. And and I think a lot of people came out of it not really wanting to work with him afterwards, because uh, he was, it, it was, it was tough. It was tough dealing with the mouse at the time, when they just weirdly <laughs> didn't want to let him make the movie they agreed that he should make. One, at the time. Two, I was about to make a Frank Oz joke, but never mind, I won't. <laughs> you brought it up, the nobody in the audience bit. That doesn't make sense whenever at the end there's all those fans that are on the highway. That It makes no sense, and the joke just makes fun of the homeless. So. Well, all the fans out on the highway just couldn't find the door. I'm sure there's a whole scene explaining that that was cut out. Mm. Where you see all of them going, where's the door? How do we get into a building? <laughs> I've never seen a doorknob in my life. The lighting in the theater is really dark. They're treating the Muppet Theater like it's an actual like theater, and so it's really dark at times. Me Monster and all the different Muppets that aren't in the arches, I always hated that, that they weren't in the arches, because apparently they had died from the director's commentary. I can't see Muppet Family Christmas and the 2011 movie living in the same universe. Those are two wildly different things in my brain. They don't connect at all. At the time when this movie came out and we saw what the poster looked like, I came up with a bunch of fake posters for it. And I, I don't think anything ever came of them. I think I sent them to Joe. And he liked them, but for whatever reason, nothing ever totally happened there. But one of them was in reference to the fact that they did, at one point in the production process, try to get Elmo to cameo in the film as a way to just reference that other Muppet characters do exist in this universe. Maybe this still is the shared Jim Henson universe that we've come to expect from previous Muppet productions. And so I'm pretty sure I made a poster for the Muppets that at the top just said the Muppet, and the whole thing was Elmo's face. <laughs> and... I still kind of like that poster better than what we what we got for this is good compared to the uh, awfulness of the Muppets Most Wanted poster. I wrote down something Sprout told me, which she said they're constantly using Jim and the Muppet Show to guilt trip the audience. It's really sad. It's just so many scenes are just sad. Walter and Gary are uh, the id and ego, but Walter is a fan because Peter is an active fan. 
and Jason is a nostalgia fan. Kermit and Piggy's kiss at the ending felt very bland and dumb. Uh, Gary's speech to Walter is a repurposed Kermit speech. So many themes, what is this movie trying to convince us of? I don't know if I told this on the podcast or I just told this to Becca. We had, As we were watching it, we had this whole bit of Walter saying you're on my watch to every muppet he sees until his whole like all his arms are full of watches and then at the end when gary is telling his speech to walter he would just go walter you're on my watch i thought this wasn't the rewrite episode but i think that that is the ultimate rewrite of the movie <laughs> thank you I hate the gag of them not raising enough money when uh, fozzy hits the sign i hate that kermit's speech on the stairs uh, of the Muppet Theater feels disingenuous. Fans at the end feel disingenuous. We can see Kermit's arm sleeve for like five seconds at the ending. Um, when I saw it, I was like, now it's a Muppet movie. I saw a puppeteer. <laughs> wow. We have a speech counter for how many inspirational speeches are in this. I meant to keep tabs. That sounds like a really bad drinking game. <laughs> Um, I think there's at least five. There's the one where Kermit is start he starts to do one when they're in the office of, um, I think her name's like Veronica or whatever. And um, yeah. he's like, I think kids today are smarter. And then um, Danny Glover hits him with a door. I hate that bit. It's It's interesting just how much of this movie is about Jason Siegel being really, really mad that they don't make kids' movies like they used to, and they don't make TV like they used to. Mm. And all of that would work a lot better if he had a very good understanding of what they used to do and he could make this movie feel less like a movie that definitely came out in 2011. Did either of you see the live-action Smurfs movie? With Neil Patrick Harris? Mm -hmm. No kind of in that same vein of like trying to be the old Hollywood but you're not at all and you're just being 2011. Simultaneously this movie feels too short and too long. Jack Black gets stolen and there's a, hob a Hobo King joke so it feels bad. The last song felt unneeded. Life's a happy song. The, the ending thing. It's like we've already had Rainbow Connection and we've had Walter's Whistling. This movie just feels so long but none of the plots are wrapping up so it also feels way too short. They're tying up the plot in the credits which is already bad but they're also doing it I noticed over the puppeteers names. So at the beginning it's like Muppet performers Steve Whitmire, Eric Jacobson, Dave Goles. They're another corner they're showing the plot and then it does you know mana mana all that and stuff and then again when we see like, who those uh, performers puppeteered the specific characters they're showing uh, more plot tie-ups again this is just me being like conspiracy theory brain over here <laughs> it's like good are they trying to distract us from the puppeteers the ending where they where they do a lot of the wrap-up in the credits it's a wrap-up if your concern as an audience is how are the Muppets going to get their theater back and get their name back. I think we could understand this movie as saying that that stuff's not supposed to be important. Don't think about that. That's not really the resolution to the main plot. The plot is the Muppets coming together again and deciding to perform together again. And they make the decision to do that uh, even when they don't necessarily know that they'll have the theater like that last inspirational speech is kermit saying 
We'll start at the bottom without the Muppet name, without the Muppet theater. We'll start from scratch if we have to. We don't need that because we have each other. And so it almost seems intentional to end the movie without saying, oh, but don't worry, they get the, they don't get the, the, the name back, they don't get the theater back. It's just like, you almost can have that as an afterthought, except that we don't really want it to be. It feels awkward, it feels clumsy. It, it, uh, it's unpleasant. One scene that's, there's a part where Kermit and Piggy are in their mansion and, and um, Piggy opens the door and he's like, don't you want to talk to the paparazzi? And, you know, Kermit slams the door and says, Peggy, and like that, that's a repurposed scene from one of the script. Kermit finds out that Piggy did hire an actual priest to marry them in Muppets Take Manhattan. And then Kermit gets annoyed because he's like, that, why did you do that? And then they break up and actually get a divorce. And then the Muppets don't want to deal with them fighting all the time. So that's why the Muppets break up. That's why Piggy has like a big blazer with shoulder pads and the curly hair from Muppets Take Manhattan because it's a direct reference to that. And then they just they just reused that scene to be like, haha, Piggy hasn't learned her lesson. The more I watch this movie and the more I learn about it, the more I am convinced that the version that they shot is 10 hours in length <laughs> because there's just so much imagine being a performer working on this movie and oh. seeing that half of what you did was cut in oh. order to get it down to a movie that still feels too long there's a question i did have was just the should the 2011 movie and muppets most wanted should they have been connected because, you know, Muppets Most Wanted at the beginning has the quote-unquote ending of the movie. Should they have been connected at all? No. I don't think they should have either. Let, let's go around and say um, what we like about it. And I'm Sprout, how about you start? Because I need to think. <laughs> one thing that I loved, is it's very tiny, but it made me chuckle. It was one of the signs in the ending of the crowd. That said, Gonzo, will you be my prom date? Just because that is the weirdest. I was thinking about that, too. <laughs> I like the idea that Muppet fans, who are, you know, a thing that actually exists, that the writers of this movie could have looked at for inspiration. In this movie, Muppet fans have cardboard signs that say, like, Camilla. And <laughs> I kind of want to... Do that for something sometime. We got to find an excuse to replicate all of the cardboard signs in this film. Next time they take over the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll all meet up and we'll have these horrible signs. I called Gonzo prom date sign. There's one in the back that just says Floyd and Janice. <laughs> That's mine. <laughs> so good. Becca, what, what do you like? You know, I think... There's a couple of things, some 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 lines that are funny. The three greatest gifts uh, scene always always will stick with me. Um, but uh, you know, again, I'm gonna go back to to how I felt at the time, and and say that I'm just glad how many Muppets and how many of the old Muppets were were rebuilt or 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 brought back from this. You know, especially after listening to to so much of um, Muppeturgy, uh, uh, another one of our fellow Muppet podcasts, mm -hmm. so much of Muppeturgy lately. I don't know. I really smiled when Jack Black is tied up and like Droop is there in the foreground with a lint yeah. roller. 
like lint rolling his ropes that are tying him up. But like it was I remember at the time being excited to see like, oh, they rebuilt Behemoth and they rebuilt Droop and they rebuilt, you know, the Afghan Hound and all of these things and Wayne and Wanda and, and Dr. Strange Pork. And that still makes me happy seeing seeing all of them. That's that's a good thing. Before the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta got refurbished, only had a few like Muppet Show Muppet puppets. And I remember they had one of the original Dr. Strange Forks there. And, oh, that's um, great. I remember seeing him and uh, I, <laughs> I don't remember how old it was. It was around the time that this movie came out. So, you know, 13, 14. I remember looking back at my mom and just going and just pointing at it and goes, Jerry Nelson held him. <laughs> Like a weird 14-year-old <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of adults in, like, a big group. It was weird. That just unlocked a memory for me. I'm sorry. J- JD, what, what, do you, what do you like about this movie? I just, I like Walter. I honestly just like yeah. getting to, I, I think initially I was concerned about Walter because it's like, oh, they're making a new Muppet and the design is weird. And uh, over time, I think mostly because the first thing we saw was the photo puppet, which was not looking so hot. Then eventually when we saw the actual puppet and we saw Peter's performance, at that point I don't think I remembered Peter Lins from that many things, even though I, I grew up with Bear in the Big Blue House and Tutter is great. Um, but I, I, all of my skepticism went away when it's like, man, he's just us. He just, he just loves the Muppets so much. And I do kind of like that even when he doesn't think he has any shot of joining them, it's still just his dream to make sure that they're going to be okay to make sure that they're going to be successful. At one point I heard Peter Linz talking about it a little bit and about Walter's journey of like not feeling like he's good enough to be a Muppet and then finding himself being embraced as one of the Muppets. And Peter said, which is in no way parallel to how I feel. And it's one of the best things you could hear Muppet performers say that it just means so much to them to get to be a part of this and to get to do this and you feel that in Walter's performance and I really like it. Me too. Um, I, I'm just gonna bring up a, a few th- like disconjointed things. I I do also love Walter. I remember when they first talked about him being a fan. I was worried because there's so many things in pop culture of making fun of fans, especially like mega fans, and also especially nowadays of making fun of, you know, fans who make art or fiction or chippers or whatever. Immediately think of like the amazing gumball episode (laughs) of making fun of their fans. So I was worried about that, but I'm glad that he's just an actual fan. And another thing I like, this is just from... I don't remember if it's ad-libbed or not, but it's Greta as Behemoth. Well, he calls him Gene for his brother. So Gene Behemoth saying, like, you got nice teeth, Jack Black. <laughs> that scene, again, that scene is so funny. When that the, when, funny. When, when Behemoth Droop and Afghan Hound have, have Jack Black tied up. It's a funny scene. I forgot before revisiting this, just how much of it is Jack Black. Like, he's in a lot of this. I'm all. It's almost surprising that he's not... On the poster with how much he's in this yeah it's an astonishing amount of that it's a very large amount of miss piggy like at least for what feels like quite a few minutes sort of taking over the muppets and commanding them in a way that she's never done before like showing more interest in the characters and being part of the group than ever before it's it's like you just forget how many odd turns this takes like the muppets kidnap someone 
and Fozzie, their moral center, just just doesn't seem to notice the problem here. Celebrities aren't a people. Celebrities aren't a people. I mean, that's a really funny line, though. It's a very funny line. Very funny line. It's it's almost similar to Whoopi Goldberg's line in The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle when she's playing a judge and says celebrities are above the law. But I think 2011 is a better film than that. Oh, I was just going to mention, I liked the little cutaway with Ralph when they're trying to get everyone together. And Ralph just goes, okay, just mentioned two Bill Beretta things. Wow. The reason why we keep talking about it, about a bunch of different Muppet stuff in general, why we keep bringing it up, because there's always potential. There's always the potential there that keeps roping us back in. And that's why we like um, some Muppet things more than others. I think that right there was a podcast episode covering a million things about the 2011 Muppet movie. You got nice teeth, Jack Black. You got nice teeth, Jack Black. I liked I liked that they didn't film the original script, which was where Kermit was the bad guy and that Walter yep. was a rag. <laughs> I liked that they didn't film that version. Honestly, there's probably that's probably a dream sequence that they filmed for the 10-hour cut. Hopefully someday we'll see it. Release the 10-hour cut, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's version. <laughs> okay, I think we're good. Thank you both so much for no, joining no us. Thank you. This has been such a treat. I'm so glad we made it through this whole thing without anyone asking me who my rising Muppet is, because I've been thinking about it for weeks. <laughs> I don't have an answer. Cannot answer. Will not answer. That's We're why done. Mary's not here. Well, actually, Sprout, do you want to ask the their, your special question? I do have a question. What is your favorite kind of bean? Someone already said bunny. Is that taken? No. We've had jelly bean. Oh, all right. Then there you go. Bean bunny, my favorite kind of bean. Becca. Trader Joe's used to sell, they called it giant beans, which are, I guess, a real kind of bean, but they were like in an interesting sauce, and I, I used to like to eat those. So, giant beans. That's just the reference to Frank Oz. <laughs> yeah, it's not an out of nowhere. How have, I, how have I come up with so many name based food jokes for Bad Henson Bistro, and it did not occur to me at any point until just now that one of the Muppets has as its first name a very popular kind of food, which is related to another Muppet thing. Frank's Bean <laughs> Bunny. And it could be, you could have Frank's with the beans, because it's... Yeah. Now I'm just thinking about Frank Oz performing Bean Bunny. <laughs> could do it. What a different character that would be the description for the menu item should just be frank oz's bean rant <laughs> how how many times has frank oz actually done it because i'm pretty sure it's just in of muppets and men right oh many times he's done it in many interviews there's, there's at least three stephen colbert interviews that he's done it with can't get into the stephen colbert interview <laughs> we can't it's cursed. It's very cursed. JD, do you want to say again where people can find you? Uh, yes, uh, I'm on Twitter at JD11PC. You can follow Bad Henson Bistro at Bad Henson Bistro. Uh, and the account Bad Henson Bio still exists. It's also there on Twitter. I don't have any further plans for it at this time. But uh, 
you know, you never know. You never know. And Becca? Uh, you can find me at Tough Pigs. You can find me on Twitter at Uncle Petunio. That's Uncle, like the kind of person who might own a theater. And then Petunio, which is like the flower, except with an O instead of an A. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm on Tough Pigs, uh, doing a lot of different articles and art and things like that. And uh, you should be able to find Habawa, my podcast, uh, over there as well. Fantastic. Um, I also want to uh, thank Sprout for being on this episode with me. And I want to thank at firefair 93 on twitter for our art for the podcast i want to thank at turning to stone on twitter for the intro and outro voice acting if you want to find the podcast on twitter we are at muppets underscore talking if you want to find mary our other host she is at muppet Mullaney. if you want to find me on any social media i am at nerdy maria mania and you can find me on twitter at palpoo sprout Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a muppetational rest of your week. Bye! And for my final trick, I will make this podcast end. I'm going to need complete silence for this. What about Miss Piggy? <laughs> what voice? <laughs> what voice? I, that's just the way that Fozzie sounds in that scene. I'm telling yes. you, there are a couple of moments where Fozzie's right. voice. He's right. Oh, you're right. It's just like this. <laughs> you're completely. It's, it's almost Stitch. <laughs> like, it's almost Stitch. It's almost Gonger. It's almost Smeagol. It's in that same territory, that same family of voices. I love Gonger. And it's oh, Gonger's best. Gonger is one of those new additions that just feels like he's always been there. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I, I do I do have to have to leave the call, but I will just say one of the things that I really and I I've said this on Twitter that I like about Gonger is like so many of the new characters, especially on Sesame Street, where New Sesame Street isn't really that funny anymore. It's not mm -hmm. really its primary purpose. But, like, it feels like there's, like, a dedicated, like, there's a purpose. There's a reason why the character is like this. Gonger absolutely just feels like, like, Warwick just is trying to make himself and everyone around him laugh. Like, there's yeah. no, there's no method to it. No method to his madness. Hi guys, post-editing Maria here. I just wanted to say sorry this didn't come out on the 23rd. It was my birthday last week and you can't pay me to edit on my birthday. So it's a little late, but hey, you can listen to this episode while you ignore your family at Thanksgiving. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, of course, you're welcome. I also wanted to say that Walter's, you know, quote unquote talent should have been tap dancing. If you're going by the Jason Siegel, you know, Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland musical rules, it would have made sense to have Walter be a tap dancer. And it would have made not only for some interesting puppetry, but it would have tied back into his like fanboying love of Kermit, who's also known for his tap dancing. The Muppet Show, you know, on the top of my head, had at least like four 
instances of tap dancing Muppets. And Kermit also tap danced during the Great Muppet Caper. But, you know, I digress. I also wanted to say to Becca and JD, thank you for being on the show. And MFT's doors are always open for you to, to come back. And obviously to Joe Hennis, the only Muppet fan to ever, ever exist. <laughs>